like to call to order the planning commission planning and zoning commission meeting call to order and we'll start with the pledge of allegiance i pledge allegiance to the flag of the united states of america and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all Okay. Public comments. Public comments would be for anything other than the text amendments that be are being presented today. Any public comments? None. Uh, we don't have any virtual. Okay. Um, meeting minutes review. Motion to approve. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Extension request, no extension request. Updates, legislation and legal matters. Amy? I'm going to ask Stephanie to remind me if she's going to give you one update as well. Okay. Good morning. Happy spring. Um, we've spoken about extensions for projects. Um, and Sheila Tolliver had asked us to look into this uh, before she stepped off the board. And something that um, Rob and I discovered in reading the code very closely is that our code already uh, has an extension protocol. And I think that the county has been following a policy rather than the statute in this regard. So I would uh, point your attention to several provisions that already have um, a duration of site plan approval of two years. So our general practices in 18.1-7D establishes a duration of site plan approval at a two years from the final approval date. And an extension for an extension may be requested uh, for reasons beyond the control of the applicant. And then in uh, our site plan provisions, 18 1 154 and 155, uh, conditions of planning commission approval uh, also includes a schedule for the commencement of construction activity within that two-year approval period. So if a project has substantially begun construction within that two years, there's no need for an extension. Um, but also uh, uh, Section 55B identifies the duration if all construction is not completed within the required time of approval. Uh, the approval is void um, if the Planning Commission established under the Planning Commission for completion of all construction. So, and that is working actively on completing the project. Obviously, the project doesn't have to be completely <coughs> finalized with construction. <coughs> so, what we would like to do is um, obviously bring these points before you and ask you if you would just like us to apply the law moving forward rather than the policy, and that applicants won't need to come before this board 
after a six-month period? Um, and should they need an extension after a two-year period for good cause? That is when an applicant would come back before this board for extension. We could get the update from you every six months in our monthly report, right? Good, yeah. I mean, that would be helpful. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that way it just doesn't fall off the edge of the earth. We don't lose anything. What do you say? I like the idea of following the law rather than <clears throat> policy. Yes. Is that all, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. We'll, we'll follow the law. Okay. <laughs> All right. So for the last probably two years, the Critical Area Commission has been working on drafting legislation for renewable energy solar um, within the critical area. So as of March 8th, um, those have become effective. Um, so basically what it is, it's mostly related to renewable energy, but also utility scale solar for the most part. Um, so they have identified major and minor as two separate um, how to identify those scales, uh, two megawatts or more being a major, and then obviously less being um, the minor. It doesn't include like your um, residential ones where you see people having it on their roofs or in their yards or anything. But um, basically the provisions address buffer disturbance, um, lot coverage, also tree clearing. Um, within the critical area, there's three separate designations. Uh, the limited development area would allow for somebody to remove 20% of the vegetation on the property for utility-scale solar, but then um, the RCA, Resource Conservation Area, would only allow them whichever is less, 10 acres or 20%. So there, um, also another big probably difference with this is they're not counting it as lot coverage. Um, most things within the critical area count as lot coverage, but um, they have decided that the solar does not need to count as lot coverage, although for your residential um, properties, that counts as lot coverage. Um, there are stipulations for it to not count as lot coverage. Uh, it has to be a, in some type of an agricultural use, or it can be a pollinator species grown underneath of that um, array. But in the resource conservation area, there's also a couple more stipulations. One is it has to be 300 feet outside of the um, mean high water line or the tidal. Uh, wetlands, um, and also you do have to do a reservation on your development rights. So if you have um, 60 acres of solar, you have to reserve three development rights on that property until the decommissioning plan is completed. So those provisions are going to have to be incorporated, obviously, into the county um, code. Okay. Ms. Jones, for the, for the tree removal, uh, piece that you mentioned is there an, are there any mitigation requirements for yes. that it's one-to-one one-to-one thanks mm -hmm. yep i'll say they do allow one access through the buffer um, which is a, a bigger difference really i think um, but that has to be mitigated at two and a half times that area of disturbance and it has to be you know there's no other room and no other access way <clears throat> it points out to me how the solar lobby and the state's priorities about solar are so strong that the Critical Area Commission has been talked into allowing this in the RCA 
when we have fought with them for 30 years for any development in the RCA. And now all of a sudden, potentially 200 acres of steel, aluminum, and plastic is okay in the RCA. The most part, commercial and industrial uses aren't permitted in the RCA. Solar is now. Um, and in fairness, there wasn't a prohibition on utility scale solar and RCA before. And RCA is included in our current uh, zoning for utility scale solar uh, arrays. So this has already been permitted in RCA here. Um, and it was not prohibited at the state level. The state has just codified their support of it. So it shows you what we're up against at the state level on any issue regarding solar. Okay. All right, anything further? But under legal matters. Okay, uh, miscellaneous staff items. So I'd like to start by introducing our two new planners today who are with us, uh, Rob Tracy is our new long-range planner. He comes to us from Kent County. He was uh, a, <laughs> a community planner with uh, Kent County where he was responsible for not only development review but also legislative updates. He also has experience as a legislative aide, so um, his talents will be put to great use uh, in our long-range planning division, and he'll be working directly under Stephanie assisting her with the comp plan update and uh, ordinance updates and text amendments. Um, also on board is Steve Johnson, who comes to us with almost 20 years of experience as a um, plan reviewer and a well-inceptic well sanitarian, that's it. Uh, he's working with Talbot County and also in Kent County. Um, so he has a lot of experience uh, working with site plans and subdivisions. Did you leave anybody in Kent County? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but let's just say that we have a really, really great team with a lot of great experience. And I'm definitely mindful and uh, sensitive to the fact that we have depleted some of Kent, Kent County's wonderful staff, and we're grateful that they've applied and that they've landed here. Um, but Steve uh, also, in his experience, uh, really has a familiarity with, uh, with all of our contractors and surveyors, so um, his experience will be put to great use uh, in working with Rob on development review, and he'll be staffing projects before this board and the Board of Appeals. Um, and he will be assisting Rob, and Rob will um, be managing his projects. So. Okay. Special meeting? It's for the comp plan for your um, the community facilities. The one on June, June 24th? Yep. Mm -hmm. So you have, need to make a motion, um, basically. In a, oh, we do? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, can I get a motion from someone, Kathy, maybe? Madam Chair, I'll make a motion okay. um, that the Queen Anne's County Planning Commission hold a special meeting uh, to discuss compre comprehensive plan workshop on environmental and community facilities on June 24, uh, 2020 in this... 2021. Sorry, wrong. <laughs> 21 uh, in this building at... 45. 8.45 a.m.? 
I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay, so be it. Do not take us back to June <laughs> <laughs> Don't take us back right there. <laughs> okay, the Historic Aerial Imagery Project. Sam has this phenomenal resource, and we wanted to give him an opportunity to share it with you and with the public so that everyone knows where it is and what it does. So thanks, okay. Sam. Good morning. Uh, my name's uh, Sam Stanton. I am the GIS coordinator, which is Geographic Information Systems coordinator for Queen Anne's County. And I just wanted to give you guys a quick overview and, uh, like Amy said, just kind of make you aware of this project we did and uh, this resource we have. So, um, historic imagery. So, we set about, or I set about, to <laughs> acquire, there's lots of historic imagery available from the USDA. And I guess the history is, is after the Depression, the USDA started all these great programs to, to help stabilize the, the agricultural industry. Um, so then they started using aerial imagery for compliance. So uh, every couple of years, they would pretty much fly aerial imagery of the entire country. Um, so a lot of this stuff we found, uh, well, the years are listed there, but it goes all the way back to 1937. Um, so we picked years uh, that kind of kind of spaced out along the way. Um, the sources, so they, there's actually uh, all of this imagery is held in um, the USDA's Aerial Photography Field Office in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they have a great staff there. And it was a really interesting process, and you just had to identify your county and the years you were looking for, and a lot of it was already digitized. Some of it they had to take out the old, um, the original cans of film and, and digitized them, and they, they just um, sent them to us. So it was great. So uh, the next step, oh, and then, I'm sorry, the other. How long did it take you to get the information? Was it months or? Oh, no, uh, maybe weeks. The stuff that was already scanned and was already digital, I, I, I had that in no time. Um, the stuff that had to be scanned and processed, you know, we had to kind of get in line for that, but it, it didn't take very long. Good. I think that's really like all they do. At, you know, in that office, like all day long. So, um, now the other, the flip side of that was anything prior to 1957 is actually uh, stored at the National Archives. And we got lucky because our our imagery for that year was in College Park, Maryland, at a site um, at an archive site, um, rather than Kansas, where a lot of it, a lot of it is held. Um, so we hired a professional archivist researcher to go in and scan all our imagery for us. Uh, so what did we get one uh, from that? We got well. We, first of all, we got a lot of pictures. We got over a thousand pictures, um, and it, here's kind of an example. I printed one out of like this is kind of what what they look like um, in their in their raw form, uh, and a lot of data, almost 360 gigs worth of imagery. So basically, once we get this, we have to make this turn this into something usable in our GIS system. Um, because right now this picture has no idea where it is. 
in the world. So we have to do something called georeferencing, which is basically we just want to take that picture and we want to put it over present day conditions. We can kind of stretch it and twist it and warp it and just pull it. And, uh, and then you basically just kind of look, put push pins in it. So in this, in this graphic on your screen, there's uh, all those little crosshairs represent places where we identified something in, in that image that I could still identify in, in our most recent imagery, which is 2019. And those, those blow-ups just kind of show you, like, we, I could see the same barn or shed in, that, um, in, in both images. And then you basically say, well, here, this is where you are in here. This is where you are in this image. Um, so as a result, you, kinda, you, you get an image that you can overlay over top of present-day imagery and other data, not just the imagery. Um, so See. So then we have to do something called mosaicing. So, so when you mosaic something, this is kind of your. Um, uh, so the picture on the left shows you like now you've got all these pictures. They all know where they are, but now they're all overlapping, and you've still got these frames, and you got this writing and this identification. So then we basically use the software and we we kind of cookie cutter out the heart of the picture, which is usually the best because you get some distortion out on the edges. So we cookie cutter out the middle, find the best part, and then the, what you're left with on the right is um, all those things put together like a giant puzzle, and you end up with a countywide seamless image uh, that you know now we can we can use in our software. Uh, so the results. So now we have imagery that we can directly compare. Uh, you know, multiple years of historic imagery directly compared to, um, to, to present-day imagery. So I just got some quick examples. So like this is the uh, 213-301 overpass, which is now you know, a full-blown overpass uh, with on and off ramps, where before it was a uh, four-way intersection, essentially. Uh, and it's, incidentally, that shows before, or when there was only three, one lane of 301. Um, so then we can look at some other things. So this is just, uh, you know, changes in land use over time. This is the Northbrook community, north of Centerville. So you can see what it looked like in 1937 and what it looks okay. like today. Um, we can look at changing shorelines. This is Love Point um, on an island. See, they've lost quite a bit of, <laughs> quite a bit of real estate. Uh, let's see. Transportation. This is Graysonville. You know, in 1957, it was lots of at-grade intersections. Um, now we've got divided highway with, with overpasses. Um, and then this one shows, kind of combines everything. We got changing land uses, shorelines, and transportation. So, uh, Stevensville, <laughs> Bay Bridge, Pan Island. Uh, that's what it looked like in 1937. No Bay Bridge, no Route 50, <laughs> no marinas. So it's kind of, it's really interesting to be able to go through and take a look at all, um, all, these, all these different parts of the county and how they've changed. Um, so how the next thing we want to do is make this available to everybody else. So we have a couple of options, and I'll just give you a really quick, quick demo. So this is... Uh, this is a historic imagery viewer where you can 
kind of kind of swipe through these things. Once that goes away, just find a place like uh, find us Vincent Street, and then you can go in here and you just pick two different years, say nine. 1957 and then you can just kind of swipe back and forth and you can pan around and zoom and you saw you can search uh, you know for for your address and help locate yourself is this just the county or the towns in this also uh, it's the entire county okay. uh, so let me jump back out to so there's that one. Uh, incidentally, you can also, if you don't want to do the compare thing, you just uh, just pick one individual. Oh, now it's not working. I might have to refresh it for that. But you can just pick one image to to look at. Uh, so let's see. Oh, I missed one. All right. So this is the comparison tool where there are basically essentially three linked frames. So we can do the same thing and just pick some random years. So then once you have those, they all move at the same, um, same scale together. So you can do, so if you don't like the swipe thing, you don't like the overlay, you can, uh, you can do a side-by-side -side comparison. Zoom to an area where there's not much going on in <laughs> any year. <laughs> but you get the idea. Um, we really want people to just be able to explore these things. Uh, also, if you're not familiar with it, our property viewer, we went ahead and dumped them all in there. Um, so now if you, let's just check out this building again. That's a layer on the property viewer now? Yes. Okay. Um, so now if you go down here in your lower left-hand corner to layers and expand imagery. They're all, they're all in here. Uh -huh. cool. <laughs> um, so this is great because you can look at it over these present day layers. This is, shows how we can, you, you can interact with, um, you know, you can see the parcel lines, the present day addresses and center lines. You could dig into these other layers and, and, and check out, you know, what they look like compared to the older imagery. Uh, let's see. Oh, so then I just put together just some, some interesting finds. They're, they're just, <laughs> I found a ton of really cool stuff. I learned a lot of stuff about the county that I thought I already knew a lot about. Um, but I found, you know, even more things just going through all this, this imagery over these last couple of years. So this was the uh, drive-in movie theater outside of, uh, between Centerville and Churchill. Uh, that was 1978. This was the Centerville baseball. Park, 1937. So that was um, kind of behind Chesterfield Cemetery here in town. Uh, let's see. Uh, I thought this was this was <laughs> kind of interesting. The because of the way the shadows were cast and when they took these pictures. This is actually outside of Centerville too. This is out near um, <coughs> by Gunston uh, School. The those the the things you see in the field there are actually like shocks of corn that have been gathered together to be to be threshed and then there you see these there's kind of some random like big piles so that's probably where they've already threshed the corn in those fields and that was 
that was what was left over. Um, so, I mean, these images are old enough that you can actually see, you know, some really old things. <laughs> uh, it's a Mattapique ferry terminal with a ferry at the dock. Uh, it's also 1937. Uh, this is a one-room schoolhouse out on Land's End Road in Spaniard's Neck. It's the last one. Uh, this is just uh, this is Kent Narrows, Wells Cove. You can see all the all the small small shacks and all the uh, all the boats, all the watermen. And the shacks are still there in the early 80s. Shucking houses. Look at the number of watermen. Yeah. yeah. I remember as a kid seeing them. That's 1957. Um, so the last thing I wanted to show you real quick was how to find all this stuff, since I talked kind of quickly about all this. Um, is uh, easiest way is go to qac.org. Departments. We are in information technology. And on the left, it says GIS and mapping. This takes you to our open data site um, where you see links to all these things. And more GIS data. And uh, I think that's it. That's all I got. Well, Any thank questions? you very much. Thank you. Good stuff, Sam. Welcome. Any questions? Okay. You did such a good job. We don't have any questions. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Is that something that you did, or is there some state initiative to do this historic? Uh, no, it was just kind of my curiosity, and yeah, it just kind, cool. of, kind of grew from there. Yeah. I, I learned about all this. My first job was at the Soil Conservation Office down in Cambridge. And one of my jobs was to help people find these in a stack of uh, old images You know, when they came in. So I knew they were out there, um, but finding the actual uh, the the originals was, was much better because the ones in the in the soil conservation office have been written on and torn and ripped and pretty cool. So. Besides the the cool factor, Sam, I mean, what what other uses did this, does the department, either planning, zoning, or you and GIS, you know, foresee this tool being, you know, an efficient use of county resource? I mean, what what do you yeah, I, internally, countywide, do we anticipate this being used for? Um, other than just kind of seeing the, the history of it, it is possible now, now that we have it, and now the hard part was getting it all digitized and in a coherent <clears throat> fashion, but now there's tons of stuff you can do with this. Like if, if we wanted to, we could, we could, um, generate like land use data or something like that from these previous years. And then you'd have like this incredible historical record of how land use is, has evolved. Um, it's already come in handy in terms of like, um, questions about parcel work and uh, you know maybe why things are where they are now and why things how things have evolved when you can be able to go back in time and look at look at how things came to be I can see that very useful for uh, boundary disputes which come up a lot you go back in time and you can see where people talk about whether well, there was a tree here or there was a fence there and we, we you know we plowed up to the fence and then the fence gets moved and uh, so I can see that would be very helpful for decades-old boundary disputes. Yeah, there's a lot of things I've already noticed. I mean, actually, that helped with some of the digitizing of it, where I knew we had an accurate parcel 
parcel data in that area and was trying to help place the imagery. And you could see those fence lines and you could see those corners. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's part of the reason is just trying to get it out there too. So I'm sure some, maybe some other people will have some ideas of what we can do with this as well. Thanks. Thank you. Citizen-sponsored text amendments. Applications. Good morning again. Um, so this first application, um, before you, they're looking um, to include major and multifamily um, as part of only a part of a redevelopment in an existing marina um, in the urban commercial uh, district. So currently in that district, um, some of the uses that are permitted are um, hotels, commercial apartments, and first floor commercial apartments. Um, that you see district is generally located in Stevensville, Graysonville area basically a wrong 301-50 corridor. So in your memo, I did list um, where all of that multifamily, major and minor, are permitted, but I'm not going to go through that entire list. Um, what they are proposing is to, within the code, add um, or amend the purpose of the UC district to include, basically, enlist those. I can't hear you. Can you talk louder? Just move, can you move it closer to you? Yeah. Is that any better? Okay, sorry. Um, they're looking to um, include in the purpose that uh, multifamily uh, use. They're also obviously going to list it in the permitted uses section of the code. And they also would like to um, list it as, um, so currently there's certain uses that are allowed to be 65,000 square feet or larger. And this is a use that they would like to list within that, um, those lists. Um, also, currently, um, residential is not permitted. So you'll see in the existing code, they've um, crossed out not applicable um, under the density requirements um, and added multifamily. So there will be a density um, added to that. And also other dimensional and bulk standard requirements they have included. Um, including um, setbacks, uh, setbacks from, you know, buildings within the property, spacing between those buildings, um, off-street parking requirements, uh, front, side, and rear uh, height, also of those uh, multifamily um, structures. But also, they've um, for non-residential uses, they've amended that height from 45 feet to 55 feet. Um, so you will see comments also from other uh, county agencies that are listed in your uh, memo. And then also you will see uh, comments from um, the planning department. Um, and I will refer to the applicant um, right now if they, so they can explain what they have um, and then go on to further questions if you have questions for staff. Stevens. Morning. Good morning. Nice to see you all. Uh, and I mean that. Actually see you and not on a, <laughs> on a video call with shorts on and a tie. <laughs> um, 
I have Walt Petrie here, um, and, uh, and we want to put this into context for you. We're not going to give you a concept plan review or anything like that, okay, because it's not the time for that. But we think we have to put into context what the request is for. And I'm going to pull the mask down if that's okay with everybody, sure. just so you can hear me and I can breathe. Um, so first of all, I'd like to thank the staff. They've been very helpful, the county overall, in working with Mr. Petrie since really early summer. Uh, and Walt can explain what his overall vision is. But this is really an amendment about the redevelopment of the Pier 1 Marina property. And what, um, uh, and what we're trying to do through the ordinance amendment that we're requesting is to allow a multifamily component when you have a marina in this, in this zone. And really, this is the only place where you have a marina in the urban commercial zoning district. The urban commercial runs the whole highway pretty much. Um, and, um, and this happens to be on the highway. Uh, and it's zoned urban commercial. Uh, and it has the marina. It has had Pier 1 Marina since... Um, um, uh, well, for decades, as you all know. Uh, so right now, commercial apartments are permitted in this zone. So he could build as many or more apartments above first floor retail as a redevelopment of this site. So that use would be permitted, but Mr. Petrini can explain it in more detail believes that he, is, um, he needs to have some mixed use to allow for perhaps condominiums, some condoms as part of a redevelopment. And that's where the amendment comes in, okay? It's, he's going to have apartments too. It might be predominantly apartments. He's still working on his, his development concept. It would always be part of a mixed use, including commercial, redoing restaurants, adding restaurants, the service, the boat service uses, and more importantly, the several hundred slip marina, which is, you know, in disrepair. Um, and, and very um, under, um, under leased, so to speak, right now. We proposed a height amendment as well because, as a couple of people testify to, or testify, comment to you on, um, uh, to build four stories and do it with relatively high ceilings, particularly on the first floor, and then meet the architectural guidelines of the zone has been just a challenge, a very difficult. And so we'd like to be able to do that in this zone. Minim you know, we've requested the, the, the height be increased, but no more than four stories, maximum of four stories. So we're not trying to get additional floor area squeezed in there, just trying to do a better design. Um, and uh, and, and uh, Walt's going to go through the concept with you, discuss it a little more with you. And, uh, and we also have Dave Perry, who is an uh, aviation expert on the team, because we're always sensitive to the airport. We know we're right next to the airport. Um, and that we, anything we do would go through um, both state and federal and local review for that. And we wouldn't propose or try and put anything that... that, that it is contradictory to the height policies of the airport. So that's, I mean, we just keep everything away. In fact, if you, I'm sure you know the marina. What's over on that side of the marina is mostly the parking lot for the, for the, uh, um, for the um, uh, beach club. And then you have the boat service building over there. And that's where all the boat service is going to remain. The new uses, the redevelopment will occur as you move closer to the highway, which goes outside that zone. And so I do have Mr. Perry on the line here today. If we have questions about that, if not, then that's okay, too. And I'm going to then turn it over to Walt Petrie. Good morning. morning. How is everybody? Very good. So a little background. I've uh, been in, uh, I've had, I had a second home at uh, Cove Creek Club for about 20 <laughs> years. I don't know now. I sold it probably 10 years ago. And I've been a partner in the beach club since almost since its inception. So I've been 
involved with this part of the county for a while. And unfortunately, John's passing, uh, really missed John, used to meet with him once a month or so, and uh, he was a great visionary. So this evolution of this, uh, my getting involved in it, was my involvement with the Beach Club. And we were in discussions with the owner, uh, Great American Insurance Company of Cincinnati, to potentially put the two properties together. And uh, as that evolved, uh, John passed away. Um, I stepped in and put the property under contract. The other partners at the Beach Club are all, believe it or not, older than me. And uh, they were not interested in getting involved in a, this kind of a project. So I've had the property under contract now for about eight months. I've done a lot of studies. Plans I'll show you are probably an evolution of 20 site plans, and you're probably going to be 20 more before we finally figure out what we want to do there. But this is truly a redevelopment, very little, if any, more impervious. So it's not a cornfield site. It's not something we're going to be tearing apart. It's, it's a permitted redevelopment under the current zoning. And we have... Uh, we said we see a real advantage to redeveloping the property it's a gateway property as you come across the bridge it is what you see i think the beach club did a phenomenal job in developing the inn and all of the other amenities the wedding venues and we just want to expand on that and we think as you drive across and land uh, on Ken Island, you see a, a really nice re, uh, development. So with that, I mean, we we uh, I'll be happy to go through the, our vision at the moment. I brought the plans to show you what's there today, and what we see at the moment. I can I can assure you that whatever I show you is going to change. So with that, I'll uh, just this plan basically shows the existing conditions that orient you. There's Hemingways. There are the four office buildings, wedding venue for the beach club, repair and storage facility, and here's the new inn. And as you probably all know, we, we just bought the adjacent eight acres from the county. We intend to expand and build more, more residential, more cottages, and some, call it the fun amenities, bocce ball, and pickleball and those kind of things so that people us corporate streets uh, at night have something to do other than us busing them to the jetty so they can have a good time but <laughs> right now there's not a whole lot to do at night uh, and so we're we're studying how we we improve on that for corporate amenity so with that uh, let me show you can get a picture of this uh, the people in Zoom will see it. Just show you the current planning, what we envision. So this plan uh, anticipates no apartments and condominiums. So these are the three office buildings in this plan. They would be torn down. We have another plan that doesn't tear them down. But this allows condominiums, apartments, and these buildings over here are what we call four-story stacks. So they're four, each 
Each one of the condominiums would have a single floor, as is with all of these condominiums. These are, have some similarity to what Four Seasons did. But uh, this would have a much more upscale uh, finish, and it would have multiple elevators so that when you ride up the elevator, you'd actually get off in your unit instead of having to walk down a corridor if you've got groceries or whatever. So this is, this is the plan. So the Hemingways, which we intend to rebrand and bring in a different operator. It's been, been there for a long time. It's a great location. It's just not doing what it should be doing in sales volume. And uh, there is a proposal that we have discussed with members of the county to build a pedestrian bridge here. Should we build a certain number of units here? And that would be paid for and financed by me, by us, after we had built a certain number of units, generated enough tax revenue to pay for the bridge. I'm not, I know you're aware there's a shortage, shortage, a missing link about two miles south of Mattapique. And I know there have been some studies done by the county. I'm not sure exactly where they are with that as far as getting, getting that connection up to here. And then we would we would provide access so that you can cross over. Right now, plan is put it here, and it would connect to the bridges, or to the bike path currently right here. So that's just an overall view of our vision, what we're proposing. And we, we understand we've got a lot more approvals to go through and a lot of hurdles to jump to get to the finish line and begin construction, but that's, that's pretty much uh, our plan for this. You have, you're continuing with, non, with, with, the, with the commercial uses there. Well, maybe you want to explain that a little bit. Commercial, well, the, 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 yeah, the, the yeah, office yeah. and so So, in order to, to build these, if we build apartments, uh, we're a dead end road. We're really, I've been in the retail business my whole life, so I'm having fun with this because I don't have to deal with retail tenants who are notoriously a pain in the neck. So, but there's, there's just no way I could fill this with commercial user. This the dead end road. Can I get 30,000 feet of office here? Maybe. That's that's about my extent of how much office I think I can get. I have done studies for condos, apartments. I've even done a marina study telling me what I need to do to increase the uh, occupancy of the marina, which last year was at 60%. Office occupancy is at 40%. So here's a piece of property that is on a scale of 1 to 10 to 12, in my opinion, there's just a lot of opportunity to increase and, and, and enhance it. So that's, that's uh, I, I'm a little reluctant to show you this plan in the back, but I'll show it to you anyway. This would be what you, with the condominium apartment development, this is what you would see uh, as you cross the and again, these are they are intended to be very high-end uh, units. They're not going to be the typical apartment slash condominium. We see them as being a much more uh, high-end prop property. Um, 
Thank you. Um, the, um, uh, we can answer questions for you if you have them. I think the amendment speaks for itself. It is to allow as only part of a mixed use where there is a marina setting multifamily. And multifamily means that it could include condominiums, townhomes, and apartments from the first floor up. Right now we can do apartments, second floor up through floor four. Um, at a, you know, at the density isn't established in the zone. It's just a square footage. As you've seen commercial apartments, you all understand what they mean. Um, the, um, you know, the challenges that Walt has and that we've been clear in advising him on and, and planning staff has been has been sensitive to them and, and very helpful in terms of pointing them out. But I mean, the challenges we have are you're in the middle of a comprehensive plan update. We know that. Um, we also know that um, uh, that plan you know, can be fluid. And it's not just the comp plan update that we would have to wait for if we waited to try and include this in there as opposed to asking for the individual text amendments now. But we'd have to wait for the comprehensive rezoning as well. Um, explain why other than timing, Waiting for that process to take place isn't the better approach. Well, I'll let Walt. Other than timing. Right. Other than timing. Well, timing's a critical part of it. And as we all know, comprehensive plans, where they, they, take, notori they take notoriously longer than everybody hopes that they would. Uh, and it's, it's, well, in order for me to continue to develop plans and figure out what I want to do until I know I can do it, I'm kind of stuck. And I don't, I don't have any idea how long it's going to take to finish the comp plan, but uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of putting together financing and all the other things that you have to do to, uh, to buy a property like this. And I can't, until I know I can build apartments and condos on this property, I'll have a very difficult time in getting any financing to to move for, move ahead. And do you see the opportunity now? And you don't know what that opportunity will look like yeah, the, in two years. The uh, and all of the studies I've done with uh, Burns International, who's a, a national firm that does studies, has said that there is a market here today. It's uh, there are no apartment vacancies on the whole island. Not to mention these would be if we built apartments. Uh, there are no other apartments anywhere in the, the Annapolis trade area that are on, on the water. So that, that's what I'm happy to share the studies with you, uh, both for apartments and condominiums say, yes, proceed immediately. And I don't know a year from now what the market's going to look like. It certainly looks good today, but as we all know, that could all end and in a few years. So that's sort of the reason for the urgency. Uh, changing the mix of ratio between commercial and residential. Sure. Changing the mix so that you could provide less commercial and more residential rather than no commercial and all residential. I, in the structure well, in which the residential use exists. Oh, you're talking about in regards to the commercial apartment provisions? Um, well, the, the problem is that the requirements of the mixed use are that it require it, that there is more commercial that can be filled about reducing the requirement for commercial but maintaining a commercial component. 
um, there, I mean, I, I haven't, the, the commercial apartment provisions, we haven't tried to change that. In other words, you have to build commercial on the first floor in regards to that would still exist for commercial apartments. The, what ratio the mixed use would have, um, we did not put in a specific ratio because we have the marina and it has to be part of a marina redevelopment. But this is going to include commercial and in fact, the service boat uses as well. So it's going to continue to have the restaurant while it's going to include some office space as well in this. So it's still going to continue to have the mixed use in this site. And we would defer really to the staff and working with them in regards to a comfort level as to what, what, what that would be in terms of how much commercial they would want to see maintained. But there's going to be commercial maintained on the site. Um, uh, and I'll let Walt speak to that a little uh, more. I don't know if you really hit upon it very well. Well, truly, this is mixed use. It's it's commercial restaurant, and we intend to reopen the tiki bar that's been closed for eight years. Uh, we we plan on, as an example, there's not one security camera on this whole site, so we're going to put in security. But to the point, we'll have restaurant, restaurants in plural. We will have industrial use, which is the boat repair. And we will have office. So it's truly going to be a mixed use. Amenities are going to be important. We're planning on building a rather large clubhouse for the, for the boat yacht users. But all, again, all that's in the works. And as Joe said, we'll address that with staff as we, as we go farther down the road. And we, we actually land on a plan that we're prepared to move forward with. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'd like to hear from our our aviation expert, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call and ask him to make comments unless you all have questions for him. But that person will work, as I said, and I want, as I said, with the state and federal and, and local authorities to make sure that this does comply with with not only their their um, uh, their rules and regulations, but in terms of what they see as is is might be problematic as we're developing the plan. And truly, the plan, as you could tell, just looking at Walt, what Walt has, goes from the airport in terms of keeping and maintaining maintaining much of what already is there. And then, you know, the, the redevelopment really moves closer to Route 50 because he's been sensitive to that, and that's why I brought in somebody right from the very get-go. Um, I think the final issue, not final, but in terms of the, the three kind of areas that staff also raised um, um, uh, some um, challenges with, meaning some concerns in their staff report, was utilities, um, sewer and water, um, APF, and so on. Um, what I really would like and ask the Planning Commission to focus on is, is that this site can be built with all the density in terms, of multi in terms of units today, but you have to build them over the first floor um, commercial as to anything this amendment would allow. So we have to go through all that utility planning anyway regardless of what Walt proposed on the site, whether it be with or without this amendment. So he's going to have to meet APF for schools. He would have to meet, if he did commercial apartments per se, he would have to um, be able to obtain sewer allocation, which we all know is a very limited commodity, and he understands that. Um, and we would all have to, um, um, and he would have to meet um, road standards. And he's already started those studies so that he's, you know, not behind the eight ball when he gets to that point. Um, uh, the, the county has this, uh, this um, um, policy that was adopted back in 2004 that 
6804, I think it's called, where it talks about what the million-gallon expansion to the plant will be used for, and, and that you get a copy of it in your staff report. Um, and it's, 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 it's not in the comp plan, and it's not in any of your zoning ordinances. It's here, and it's in the master water and sewer plan. And, uh, and just like anybody else, you know, the county will have to deal with that if Walt does get to the point where he requests sewer allocation. Um, I can tell you that for apartments, just straight apartments, the county has <coughs> not implemented 0468. Apartments, as you know, have been built all over. Not all over, but you know, some very nice projects have been done um, uh, uh, in conjunction with staff and with the developers uh, to do apartments. So that, that wouldn't even apply to that. He's going to have to deal with that at some point. The county's going to have to deal with that. So what we would ask is that, um, is that if you can give us a favorable recommendation, we go to the planning commission and, uh, I mean, go to the, the, the county commissioners. If we end up successful on the text amendment, we'll be back before you with a concept plan. We're not going to move right forward to site planning or anything. You'll see the concept plan, and he'll have to deal with, just like everybody else, APF at that time, schools, water, sewer, roads. You'll get more detail on the, overpass, on the, um, on the flyover for the pedestrian bridge. And you'll get much more detail on what Walt is kind of kind of land on <coughs> in terms of a concept. It could be many more apartments than it is, you know, condominium or for sale units. I mean, that that might be the direction that the market leads him in. Um, so with that, we're, we're available to answer questions. I do have, um, I do have, um, like I said, the the. Uh, the airport person on, as well as Tommy Davis, who's been our engineer. Yeah, I'd like to mention also and introduce uh, oh, yes. Tim McGrath, who's my partner on this project. Tim is a local, uh, has lived on Ken Island for many years, and he will be, uh, he's an active partner. I also have a letter from the Beach Club, uh, Deirdre Wilson and Derek Jaynes, uh, that we can we can give you uh, basically. Uh, Did you get a copy of the letter? Okay, thank you, thank you. And and uh, I have the traffic group I think on on board here. If you have any traffic questions, and the and the uh, aviation expert. Thank you. Yeah, and I do. Any questions? I have a them? question, Sharon. As far as are there any other? When we make these amendments, they they seem to have a ripple effect that they'll apply to other pieces of property in the county. Do we know that there are any other pieces of property that this request would potentially apply to so that we create, you know, a uh, something out of scale for what, what the, uh, the commission would expect? Yeah, we've tried to be sensitive to that, particularly since this is, you know, the urban commercial is there's many areas of it where you might not want to see this type of redevelopment. Um, as far as both myself and Tom Davis, the engineer, and Tom went through the aerials and looked at the zoning throughout the urban commercial, the answer is no. There is no other area where um, urban commercial has a marina on it. Um, but the height provisions where we requested to go to four stories, they would be universal across the board as we propose them. You know, if the, if the, if the commission has other thoughts on that, you know, we're certainly open ideas, but the height provision would allow across the board in the urban commercial district the 55 foot with four stories limitation. Um, and um, so you're going up 10 feet. It's going up 10. Yes, it's going up 10 feet. That's correct. That's, that's correct with the four story limitation. Yeah, and if I might add, forcing anyone to build 45 feet high buildings, four stories high, if you could just add up the numbers and you try to, you're trying to do architectural 
embellished me trying to put the mechanical roof on the uh, mechanical equipment on the roof screen. Oh, and you want to have, you'd like to have 10 foot or 11 foot ceilings in some of these. You just can't do it, and you'll end up with a with a less than desirable architectural and uh, interior finish. So that's that's the only reason. It's just really very hard to do in 45 feet if you want to do the right kind of job. Any other questions? It seems like you've actually come quite a ways with your planning and thought processes. Um, what kind of provisions, if any, have you made towards workforce housing or affordable housing for the residents of Queen Anne County? The, 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 well, I can. He will have to comply with the with the workforce housing percentages. And in fact, you and I really probably hadn't even talked about that. Yeah, I hadn't heard. That. Yeah, but there is a workforce housing provision and a percentage for workforce housing. Moderately priced. Moderately priced. Well, if that's a requirement, then I guess I'll have to. I, that's the first time I've heard it. Yeah, so. and I, and <laughs> uh, but whatever the requirements are, we intend to meet them. Okay. okay. Well, I. I leaning towards are you willing to possibly increase those requirements um you know it if we give and i understand that the marina in that particular area is in disarray um you know but if if this text amendment is recommended to go forward what kind of i guess and we don't have any assurances at this time uh, because it, there's nothing to assure, but you know, I would like to see maybe a, an offer, if this moves forward, to grant additional workforce housing or um, affordable housing units as part of a, a balancing act uh, to help the residents of Queen Anne County. Additionally, with the concept that you presented to us, I think it looks very nice. However, I'm not in, in, in favor or, or a big fan of as soon as you come across the bridge to see those three big apartment buildings or condominium buildings or whatever they might be uh, right there in the, in the front. Um, Hemingway's is already there. It's kind of a landmark for a lack of better uh, wording, but where everyone's been used to that, I just don't know if three buildings in your you know, based off the plan you showed us, may be the most appropriate thing. Thank you, Thank Madam. You, Madam. <laughs> okay, uh, that was uh, Ms., uh, Mr. Reese's suggestions are entirely well attentioned, but uh, I'm not sure we want to head down the so-called contract zoning um, road. I get the point, Jeff, but let's be careful about that. Uh, and I would just, and I would add, and. In, in and say that um, uh, we will be back if we're successful with a concept plan. And that would be the time to address Mr. Reese's and I'm sure other co comments from, from everybody and staff about where these buildings will be located, the design, the visual impact. I think that, you know, that there's a track record with, Mr. with Mr. Petrie and the Beach Club and the Inn um, as to, you know, willingness to work with the county to, to make something very, very attractive as a gateway. Um, and could it, you could indicate that you won't go to the fallback of payment in lieu of. Yeah, 
I, I mean, it's, I need to sit down and go through that with Walt. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit remiss because I, I did not discuss the uh, affordable housing. I just assumed that, you know, I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. But it, it, it exists. It's in the code. So that's what the provisions are. There's a, and it's not unusual. It exists in most jurisdictions in Maryland. Uh, that, that I do have, I do have uh, I believe that, that although in a different district, the Kent Maryland, and what Mears Point was trying to do, um, which, you know, as we seek for consistency, I believe that this brings a little bit more consistency, even though they are in different districts. <coughs> yeah, that's true. Mears Point did receive an amendment from the county to do first, you know, straight apartment buildings in that zone because there was a marina as part of a marina mixed use. So it was very similar. <clears throat> Any other questions? Comments? I read the letter correctly. The Aviation Authority already had a problem with the height issue near the airport. Is that correct? Or was that just, you know, their their initial comment well i yeah i mean i i um i read it to to say that they um they had concerns about um the height of buildings near the airport right. um and that um uh and so they raised concern about that and about the increase of the height allowed but they fell back to and they attached their gradient in terms of their requirements for gradients of heights moving away from the runway which is the attachment there, and I can have Mr. Perry speak to it, but we would comply. I mean, there's no... I understand you'll right. comply. I just... That's you know. right. That, that is correct. For reference, do we know the height of current existing buildings uh, in, well, the, in the property? Well, what's the height of the... Um, do, you know, do you know if not Tom Davis, I think? Airshed is the tallest one, I think. Well, the, the boat repair facility is about 37 feet high. Uh, it's it's non-conforming because when they when they change the uh, they improve the the uh, airport I forget exactly instrument what landing, instrument landing it was already built and they then they yeah had the that had that not have happened then that building would not have been approved but there is a gradient is is uh, and it, we have the map and it shows after you get a certain distance how many height how high you can go. Upside down wedding cake. Right. And, and Mr. Perry's out. You know, he he can speak to it. He's 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 looked at all of the proposals, yeah. and I believe he believes we can conform and uh, satisfy. Uh, That's all the inn is. That's the the inn is. I believe uh, Tom Davis could answer that. He's online. Yeah, but I believe the inn is fifty-five feet high. I have to ask Tom if Tom's on. Is Tom on there? Sorry? Give Tom Davis a second to get on. Tom Davis a second to get on. Uh, I don't have Tom in unless he phone called in. He didn't phone call. Tom, if you are one of the phone calls, could you please unmute? Other than that, I don't, I don't think we have him in here. <clears throat> yeah, he is. Yeah. 
Can I ask him one more time? In the bathroom. Probably. Running through the house. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just Hello? Hello? There he is. Yeah, this is Tom Davis. Davis. Uh, I'm sorry. sorry. Out of an abundance of caution, I wanted to stay away from you all. <laughs> so, can you hear me? Yeah, Tom, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, the commission asked Walt what the height is of the um, of the inn, and that, and we weren't quite sure. Yeah, the, the, the uh, permitted, permitted height, height in that, in that district, district was also the 45, 45 foot, foot uh, which uh, goes to the the, uh, the midpoint of the roof. So, 45 foot was what uh, was what was allowed and uh, approved on that original site plan. Thank you. Thanks. And. and if we could have had a little bit more height, probably could have done a lot better. Not, not that John didn't do a great job, but could have made some more improvements to the roof pitch and things like that. It is 45 feet, yes. That's to the midpoint of the roof, not to the peak. Right. It, it, you'd have to look at the definition of how the uh, county ordinance uh, defines height. So. Depends on if it's a flat roof or a pitch roof. Do you have anything further for us? Would you like us to step back or remain well, here for a minute? Hey, Joe, do you want me to, want me to talk, talk about, about the same, about the same things, things that you've already, already talked about? about? No. no. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. I would just reiterate what Joe said about the uh, property being the only property that uh, this would be applicable to. The height uh, change would allow a lot more flexibility. We run into issues with architects all the time, and they, as Walt had indicated, you know, you, you can't really do flexible floor spaces on the first floor because you run into that height uh, issue. So, Thank you, Tom. I get three stories. One option. Okay. Have any recommendation from the committee? You want to discuss it? No. Um, uh, admonish me not to uh, talk about this, but I will only say this is another of the famous redheaded Eskimos. Which we have to be careful about. I can't comment. <laughs> no, any text amendment, we many of them we run into the same issue, and we think that um, that the potential benefits really outweigh doing it out of sequence, and um, and the issues that are very legitimate that you all brought up, including height. We'll, you will have that opportunity during a concept plan review to see that in detail. And candidly, if you know if you don't like what's being designed there, you know that you don't move it forward. You, you haven't done it in concept plan, and and you know and you haven't been challenged on that fact. So I think you have a lot of authority there, and we we know that, and we're certainly willing to work with you on that, and staff for that matter, who's been very helpful. Madam Chair, yes, ma'am. I would like to. Um, suggest a favorable recommendation of citizen-sponsored text amendment number 21-02 entitled addition of major and minor 
multifamily provisions in the urban center district. Um, <clears throat> I suggest this because I know that <clears throat> this is the first of many, many layers of approvals, discussions, and looks at this, and, and uh, that, is, that is my suggestion. Okay, do I have a second? Second. Okay, let's, any discussion? I get clarification on is it urban center or urban commercial UC? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was reading. No, it's it's, it's written several different ways in Thank the. Thank you. In the urban staff report. Urban commercial. Sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> I, it was a direct question and an indirect question, both. I'll suggest for the minutes to amend my suggestion to urban commercial district. And amend my second. Any, any uh, discussion? Call for the vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you, board members. Thank you very Thank much. You very much. Look forward to working with you in the future. <laughs> Thank you. Right, so um, the second text amendment before you um, is to incorporate provisions for a self-storage facility um, with interior access only um, within the town center district. Um, so if you're looking at history related to this um, text amendment, there, there, are, um, there is a couple of text amendments previously that would relate. Um, if you're looking at the current code, um, many warehouses are permitted use um, within the county in certain districts. Um, and the definition of a mini warehouse is very similar um, to the definition that has been proposed for the self storage facility. So you can see both of those definitions um, within the memo. Um, but in 2004, and some of you may remember this if you were on the, um, the commission itself, um, mini warehouses were removed from the, the town center district. Um, and it specifically states in the code that they are not permitted. Um, and then in 2008, there was a following text amendment um, that allowed for expansion of those mini warehouses, um, of existing mini warehouses, um, but that is a conditional use within that town center. So there is, like I said, history um, kind of involved with this. Um, what the applicant is proposing also is to include a definition of a self-storage facility within um, the listing of light industrial uses, um, which is in the definition section of the code. Um, so you'll see that obviously they're permitting it or listing it as a permitted use, a self-storage facility with interior access only. But then if you fall to the definition section, they want to list self-storage facility as a light industrial use. Um, that would also allow for any zoning um, district that light industrial uses are permitted, that this self-storage facility would also 
be permitted because light industrial is listed as a use in some districts, but then um, many warehouses or particular other um, light industrial uses are called out in some particular places. Um, but also they want to define that self-storage facility and no other um, light industrial uses kind of have that definition per se, not very many. Um, uh, That's a little confusing. You're saying that it, it would still preclude mm -hmm. the small units. As, right, so you have a, your light industrial use and it lists in the code, it lists out multiple different light industrial uses, and they want to include that um, within that light industrial definition. So wherever light industrial is permitted throughout the code, it would also allow for that self-storage facility with interior access only to be permitted. That and interior access um, only. Mm -hmm. prevents those small units. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. Yeah, okay. that's, that's in quotes, I guess, in the, the um, permitted use. Okay. And I can turn to the applicant then. Is this cover for all these guys? Morning again. Morning. Joseph Stevens on behalf of the applicant. Yep. Joseph Stevens on behalf, thank you, of the applicant. Um, which is um, uh, Nashville LLC, which is owned by um, Mr. Schultz, Jody Schultz. Uh, again, to put the amendment into context, the town center district allows, this by right uses, light industrial uses. In an amendment back in 2007 to the code, it singled out four separate uses in the light industrial district and said those aren't appropriate in the um, town center. So four uses in the light industrial definition and said those are not appropriate in the town center. One of those is mini warehouse, mini storage. Another one was, I think, um, fuel storage and then a couple of others. Um, so you have that prohibition and you did an amendment back a couple of years ago. In fact, I was involved with it where you said, okay, well, if you have a mini warehouse, we'll let you expand up to 50%. And that was actually very helpful to an existing business owner. It was much appreciated. Um, when Mr. Schultz looked at this provision, and he owns property in that district, actually on the north side of Route 50, um, in the TC district, it was unclear as to whether or not doing a storage facility that's wholly enclosed, and you know what they are. You've seen them. There's one down in Graysonville, and you also have um, uh, one over in Annapolis as soon as you get over the bridge, and I think those are the only two in the area. Um, uh, it was unclear. It was unclear whether or not they could do that and you know, to make an investment uh, to do and move forward with that, and it was probably, uh, I think our sense was, not permitted um, as part of um, the uh, TC district because it was considered part of the mini warehouse concept. So we tried to separate that out in the amendment and say that a, um, a wholly enclosed in interior access only, you've seen them climate control type of facilities, um, are permitted in the town center district um, and mini warehouses are not. So I want to make that clear. I think the amendment's clear. Many warehouses are still not permitted in that, in that district, even if you, if you, you know, pass this, if the county passed this. Um, and we recognize the um, 
town center district, there's a lot of discussion about pedestrian-oriented retail uses and so on and so forth. But the town center district's vast and has areas that are suitable for that type of use and maybe not suitable for that type of use. And the county has recognized that by allowing many fairly intense commercial and light industrial uses by right in that district. And we think that this is no different the wholly enclosed, we understand the mini warehouse. That's that's no, no question about that. But the wholly enclosed, we think, is 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 not inconsistent with many of those uses. And if you go through the definition of light industrial uses and the list of what they include, they are not very different and have the same design challenges, which we, Mr. Schultz, knows he'll have to meet. You know, through through plan or review, they include wholesale distribution and manufacturing activities are permitted, bolt building. Um, um, bulk uh, materials and machinery storage fully enclosed. So that's part of the, what's not permitted is bulk material and storage yards. Those are part of the you know the things they took out the four items I talked about. But um, bulk material and machine storage fully enclosed is. So when you look at uses like that, furniture cleaning, lumber yards, manufacturing facilities printing plants, truck terminals, they're allowed in the TC district as part of the light industrial gamut. And we think this is probably less intense than a lot of them and easier to design around the design guidelines, you know, comply with the design guidelines you have for the town center district. So that's the context that I looked at it in when, 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 when Mr. Schultz came to talk to me. I know he's got a, a broader perspective because he's trying to do something there and he's got a potential partner involved and, and so on and so forth. So I'll, I'll let him speak. But the point that I wanted to make is I think we can, I, I don't think this is far afield, in fact, fits in with many of the uses that are permitted in that zone. So. Um, I mean, Joe laid it out pretty good. I, I think... Uh, I think there was a misconception about why that was taken out originally back in, was it 08? 07, I think. 07, when it was taken out. It wasn't taken out, <clears throat> you know, as, as kind of what's mentioned in the staff report, that the county was losing mixed-use zone land for opportunities of retail. I mean, it was taken out because it was unsightly. I remember that. And uh, um, that's the reason, the main uh reason behind why they were taken out they didn't want to see these all up and down around town center zoning because they are they are unsightly the outside storage units that's the reason it was taken out um, as joe said what we're looking to put back in is really no different than a lot of things that can be put there today um, I, I think we submitted some pictures of of when i went online and just had <laughs> printed out a few of many indoor self-storage units Across the country that that look look good and look better than some office buildings and other things that could be built there now so I'll, I hope you guys did you guys get the should be in your your memo packet you received so that's really what we're looking at doing down there something that's nice I mean you know we don't want an unsightly building um, You know, the light industrial use, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with it being confusing as having a definition. In fact, I think there should probably be more definitions of, 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 uh, of uses in, in, the, in the glossary in the back um, as it really defines what it is. So we were just trying to make it idiot-proof of what an indoor self-storage unit is. Um, and that's why we added the definition. 
light industrial uses, um, when you read the definition, include wholesale distribution and manufacturing activities generally conducted indoors where nuisances associated with the use, um, you know, kind of can be hidden. And that's exactly the intent of this. Uh, and again, that's why you don't want the outdoor uses because, you know, they, they, um, they're an outside use. Um, so I don't think anything that we're, we're asking for is really outside of the realm of, of town center uh, zoning. Um, it's like, it's like Mr. Petrie. I mean, you guys still have a couple more bites out of the apple when, when we come before you for site plan approval. It's not like this guarantees that any of this, any of this really can be done. I mean, there's design standards, there's a host of other things that have to be met through the process. So, you know, if we're fortunate enough to get this today, we'll, we'll be back to you to make sure that whatever we're doing there looks good and fits in the neighborhood and, you know, kind of meets the standards and, uh, you know, everything else we're trying to do. Um, I don't know if you have any questions about my partners here. He could, he could maybe answer some questions if you're interested in maybe the difference in a indoor and outdoor use you know there's really not many climate controlled indoor self-storage facilities so if you want to store you know papers or clothing or furniture or anything that you really don't want outside in the elements i mean that's really what you need and there's there's one in queen Anne's. there's a couple in queen Anne's county uh jason they have one up in queenstown they operate one in easton and there's um so there's definitely a need for that with the with the uh, when, when I talk to realtors and ask them what are the things that people are looking for to come to this area, you know, self storage is always in the, the top three or four things that they mention because there, a lot of them are downsizing, a lot of them are looking for places to store stuff, a lot of them are working from home now and they need they need room to put, you know, professional supplies and such because they're downsizing out of their offices and, and such. So um, I don't know if I have anything else to add. I, I think uh, maybe if you have any questions or if you have any questions on. You know, my potential partner or Jason, my partner here, be glad. Questions? To... No, just a comment that um, I don't know how much experience anyone here has, if any, with storage. But like many people during the pandemic, I was cleaning and clearing, and I looked for some cl a climate control storage space to put some of my more cherished or valuable belongings. And um, I went to the place in Graysonville, it's near my home, and it's, it's nice. And I said, this is the place I'll trust with my stuff. Well, the young lady at the desk looked at me like I was crazy and said, we don't even have a waiting list anymore. So the closest place I was able to locate was in um, Easton. But that was too far away for me to have easy access. So I will echo the need. I went through that um, personally. So. Any other questions? Madam Chair, I would question in this case, um, the, the timing relative to the fact that we're doing the comprehensive plan. And is this something that should be incorporated in that? Is there a particular need that we, we envision that this should be approved today? Um, or should we be waiting for the comprehensive plan to be uh, put together? Um, I th as I said when I was here just a m few minutes ago, it's always a challenge, you know, when you get a comprehensive plan coming up. Um, this, I don't believe that this has any plan implications, meaning the comp plan. Yes. Because we're clarifying that a use is permitted, and I read you the other uses in the district, which are very similar. So it's not like a policy change. It would be my, you know, my 
position, I guess, that I'm putting forth. It's not as if we're asking to rezone a property, which then has implications with the plan, land use plan. We're not asking for an up in density, which might have implications on the land use plan. This is purely just a zoning amendment, zoning text amendment. And there wouldn't even be any discussion, my estimation would be, in the comp plan for something this shifting in terms of clarification of the use. So I don't see it as a comp plan issue. Um, it's a, it, you know, since the comprehensive rezoning follows the comprehensive plan, um, you know, the, the issue before you from a policy standpoint is do you say wait? Um, you know, our positions like many others that come in, we talk about that before we even file the amendment and we say, you know, that could be a long time. He's ready to move now. We think there's a need, it's important. And so we'd ask that you you know, the, that you overcome that issue in this instance, but that ultimately is your decision. But we think we put a pretty compelling case on that, to do that. And this was what already- you did, if What you did with the last uh, zoning amendment, shouldn't have waited for the comp plan. I have a different view on that. This one certainly should. I should point out, uh, so I'm not criticized at any point in the future, myself, my brother, and my two sisters own property immediately adjacent to a property that this will benefit. And you, you did say that this should wait for the complaint? No. If the thing next to the airport shouldn't wait, given your recommendation, then this one should certainly should. We're just trying to clarify what you said. <laughs> I was a little confused, too. <laughs> yeah, this is approved in the district, so I think that, and it was taken out because of, in, in my strong opinion, the unsightliness of it. And we've, I think, and I think they sh they shouldn't be allowed in town centers. I mean, the, the, you mean the mini warehouse. The mini. Yeah. And we've you know again you got you have a couple more bites out of the apple and you got to make sure it looks right as we do you know and um, yeah we'd ask that you we not wait for that because the fear of the comp plan is we we're already a year and a half behind when the comp plan's approved that's only the that's the beginning then you're then you're into a year or more of change in the zoning so just the data comp plans approved is in no way change anything you got to go through the the whole process arduous process of the zoning changes and all that so that could be another two to three years if we don't get COVID 20 or COVID 21 or whatever okay any other questions from the commission property outside a critical area Oh, this property is this piece is in the critical area and uh it's require growth allocation it's limited development so if he does come in with it like anything he would do on there you would have that opportunity too on growth allocation he'd have to make a compelling case that it should get you know whatever is it all in the critical area or portion of it Hard. we depending on the size i mean it's an lda property so chances are we'll probably be looking for growth allocation we'll have to that's why, and that's important for me to mention that we own a property immediately next door, which is also partly in the critical area, and so important that I put that on the record. Yes, and answer your question, Mr. Lee. Yeah, it, it is partially, and we could see, we'd see through design whether because we, the use is permitted in the LDA, right. right? It's just the impervious cover limitation, lock coverage limitation of fifteen percent in the LDA. That make that that if he needed to increase that beyond that, he'd have to ask for growth allocation to IDA. But because part of the site is not in the critical area, there there may be some design um, solutions. We just don't know yet. Any other questions? Can I get a recommendation? 
I'll make a motion for a favorable um, recommendation of citizen-sponsored text amendment number 21-03, self-storage facilities in town center district. Get a second. Second. Any discussion? All for debate. Any, um, all in favor? Uh, uh, one moment. Well, I'm sorry, Madam Chair. Is, Ms. Jones, I think this is most appropriate for you or anyone else with the knowledge. Would be, is that, what are the, uh, the height restrictions in this zone for a proposed use such as this? I'd have to look in the code. Four or five? 45. Refer to. 45. And any, any sense of what your client is planning on that? Uh, I mean, you know, growth allocation has, has, would have a lot of impact on that, how big we wanted to go and, and trying to work around. There's some non-tidal wetlands in the area, so we're going to have to be very careful how we, how we uh, put it in there. I mean, specifically on that property, it couldn't be a better property for this kind of use. Um, we, I think the answer is we'd have to work with the design standards and you all, and it wouldn't exceed 45 because right. that's the limitation. Uh, and yeah, there's no reason to think it would be if it, any taller than that. And if you all, from a design standpoint, had concerns with even that height, then we'd have to deal with it while we're here. Yeah, and then you, uh, and my partner really has a lot of impact in that since they operate them. Is it, is it more efficient to, to have a bigger footprint or to go up with elevators and how people um, visit and bring stuff in and go in elevators. So I'm not really versed on any of that. So that all comes into play. You need to do a, a bigger single story, which takes up more impervious cover, or do you go up two or three or four stories or whatever. So we're, we're really not there yet. Single story reminds me of getting into the little units. Yeah, I, th I think you might want some height for, right. you know, for architecture. Any more impervious cover than we have to. So we'd prefer to go up, but it's, it's just operationally how that, how that works. I have a suggestion. You might want to look at the mini warehouse performance standards. There are performance standards for that use, particularly that use. It's on page 5 of 7 of that memo. Um, it does talk about, you know, buffer yards. It doesn't talk about height, but I'm not sure, if Tom, that's what you were getting to, as in, you know, buffering that, that use in any way. Obviously, it's a high visibility area. It just mm -hmm. and, and the last, you know, uh, applicant we discussed the height <laughs> in <Yeah>. detail <laughs> mm -hmm. extensively. Any other comments or questions? Go for the vote now. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Aye. One opposed. Shannon, Tom. One opposed. You board members. Jeff. Oh, sorry. Jeff, which which way did you go? I went I. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you very Thank you. much. Text amendment twenty one dash four. I think we'll take a five-minute break. All right, we're back in session for the Planning and Zoning Commission uh, meeting on April the 8th.
Good morning. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Absolutely. Thank you. My name is Ryan Showalter, McAllister, Detar, Showalter, and Walker, 100 Northwest Street, Eastern Maryland. We're going to pull that down so we can hear Happy you. to do that. <laughs> and I'm appearing today on behalf of NL Green Power. Uh, Trip Callahan uh, is the uh, applicant, and uh, I'm appearing also on behalf of Trip with respect to this text amendment. And my name is Gerald Giuliani, and I'm with NL Green Power. Um, I am the developer on this project. Want to make your presentation? Sure. Is, is there any staff? I can go. Comments first, or we're happy proposal, to. Or whichever order you prefer. You can go through the proposal. Okay. All right. So um, the applicants are proposing um, to allow for the construction of a utility-scale solar arrays outside of what is the mapped utility-scale solar array district. Um, that map can be found in your packet where that district um, is located. Um, so they're also com basically saying that they would comply with the design standards and requirements that all other um, utility-scale solar array projects within that district um, basically meet and are required to meet. Also, they are basically saying that a easement would need to be created, a perpetual easement, sorry, um, in the ag district. It would be, I guess, I think it was a third of the acreage that is outside of that utility-scale solar array. So let me backtrack, sorry. They're proposing that, that, um, use, that as long as the array is partially within that district, that utility-scale solar array district, that it would be something that would be um, permitted within the ag and, and CS district. So it would be the ag and countryside district is where it's um, permitted at this time. Um, so let's see. So there is some history, obviously, in the solar um, <laughs> history, I guess. But I don't know if all of you are on board uh, for all of that. So basically, the I guess the most up-to-date um, information would be when the utility-scale solar array district was added to the county districts. It's an overlay district. Um, also, it was um, it is a conditional use in the ag and CS districts. So there are many conditional use standards that are needed to be um, required and the list of those requirements are in your packet if you would like to see them. Um, so I can refer it to, to Ryan if he has extra comments to add. Thank you. So we appreciate the opportunity to be up here before you today. Uh, this the utility scale solar array district is an overlay district that the county created to uh, to try to focus solar development within reasonable proximity of the transmission lines that are essential for moving renewable power uh, from the site where it's generated to the grid. Uh, and as I, you may know, the state of Maryland adopted what's called a renewable portfolio standard or RPS. That's a, um, a law the General Assembly created that requires an increasing amount of energy that's utilized in Maryland to come from uh, renewable sources, a, a portion of which has to come from solar-generated um, uh, facilities. And uh, Maryland, in order to meet the, the RPS uh, mandates established by the General Assembly, needs a, a lot of additional solar development between now and 2030. Um, we understand that it, it has the potential to have you know, landscape impacts and considerations and certainly understand the, the county's desire to uh, focus the location of the solar 
Jay's going to walk through uh, the, the handout that he, he gave to you in a couple of minutes and, and help to illustrate that even though the uh, overlay district the county created seems like it includes a lot of area, uh, when you look at what lands are already protected, what lands are forested, what lands are uh, encumbered by uh, environmental constraints, hydric soils, streams, wetlands, et cetera, dramatically reduces the amount of available land within the USSA overlay uh, for development of solar. We have a project that um, is in a circuit that has capacity for additional solar generation. And that's an important concept for everyone to understand is that um, solar can only occur on circuits within the, the utility grid where there's capacity for injection of power. And it's, it's not as simple as connecting a solar panel to a, a power line. Um, certainly when you're talking about residential scale, people can put panels on their house and there's not a significant impact on the grid. But when you have larger generation, uh, larger amounts of electricity, the grid has to have capacity to receive that power. And there's very few circuits remaining in Queen Anne's County that have capacity for utility scale solar development. Um, the circuit outside of Centerville, where the, the project that drives this text amendment uh, is located, dove, does have capacity. And Enel Green Power has uh, land under lease with Mr. Callahan and others and has um, applied to PJM, which is the, the organization that manages the electrical grid, to inject power into this circuit. PJM allocates capacity uh, on, on the basis of a queue. So, so this project has a queue position and is essentially first in line, if you will, to inject power into this portion of the circuit. The challenge is finding the right amount of land to, to meet the requirements to develop that power um, and, and to do it in a way that complies with the county code. Uh, the county commissioners identified a, uh, I guess I would say a preference, if you will, for uh, allowing a certain amount of solar development in the county. And so several years ago, the commissioners adopted a resolution that authorizes payments in lieu of taxes agreements or pilot agreements um, for the first 2,000 acres of utility scale solar that's developed in the county. So the, the county essentially developed a policy that said we're willing to accommodate and would like to receive the tax revenue from up to 2,000 acres of of solar that will facilitate through a pilot. Beyond that, it could be permitted under the current zoning, but it wouldn't get the same tax treatment. Um, so this, this project will enable the county to recognize the, the economic impacts of solar development, the benefits of, of having generation on the county's grid and not being reliant on coming from elsewhere. Um, and, and there's a unique twist, and that is that in order to produce this project on this circuit, um, there's a real struggle in finding land that's available and also within the USSA overlay. Um, and so Mr. Callahan's properties are partially located within the overlay district, but not entirely within the overlay district. Uh, and so we've, we've had uh, some initial dialogue with county staff and tried to find a way to um, provide an opportunity for the county to realize its uh, economic opportunities from solar development uh, while not suggesting that the county open up, you know, vastly larger areas to solar development and providing other benefits to the county. And so the, the other benefit that we propose is in exchange for um, a temporary land use, the establishment of a solar project that has typically a lifespan of, of 40 years or less, uh, we're proposing to offset acres that are developed adjacent but outside of the overlay district with a perpetual conservation easement.
Um, the, the staff have a number of questions which we'll walk through responses to, and there may be dialogue today that, that results in some refinements. Uh, we're certainly here to receive um, your feedback and, and would like to advance to the county commissioners with a favorable recommendation. So if there's some tweaks that we need to make to clarify points or address points, uh, we're happy to do that. Um, and I think with that introduction, I may turn it over to Jay and then come back and, and respond to the staff uh, comments and recommendations. So, gentlemen, do we, do we mind if we move your presentation over to this other laptop so that way we can see it on the screens in here and the people at home can see it? Is that okay? Yeah, I think we can do that. Great. Is this working? Which one? Jesus. Okay. There we go. We can put it into, what is it, presentation mode? If you go into slideshow and hit start. Okay, slideshow and hit start, where, where would that be? Is it on file or is it on slide master? Oop. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just doing the same thing you did. Mm -hmm. Right that? Thank All you. right. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Ryan. I think that. Uh, I don't know what I have to say. You said everything. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, glad to be here today. Um, again, my name is Jay Giuliani with Anel Green Power. I'm the project development manager on this project, which we have named Concho Solar Project. Pass on to who is Anel? Anel is. Uh, essentially the world's largest or close to largest renewable energy company. Uh, that's hard to calculate on any given month as, as the industry is growing. We've been in the business for 20 years, and uh, we have six offices in the U.S. with uh, headquarters in Andover and six, uh, five more offices. We're operating in 22 states. We have 650 employees, and I think that um, what puts us as sets us aside or differentiates us within the industry is that we are very focused on being a member of the host communities where we operate, and I'm hoping to show you that today. Uh, generally, uh, essentially, Enel is a owner and operator of renewable energy plants. That means that we develop, build, and operate these plants over their lifespan. We're not a, uh, just a developer per se. Uh, we essentially sell power to utilities and to the private sector. You might recognize some of these names. Uh, Google, Starbucks, Ambev, 
these are all companies that sign offtake agreements with us along with utilities. Uh, as I mentioned, we invest in a long-term relationship with our host communities. We make a point to invest in those communities and identify uh, what are the, you know, what the, uh, what issues within the community uh, residents have some passion or interest in. We may offer, a, uh, offer STEM classes. Uh, we may help fund uh, local school districts or invest in improving community centers. And we're also very interested in developing and pursuing the whole concept of agrivoltaics, which includes um, pollinator operations, includes, it may include other uh, agricultural operations that can coincide uh, with solar production. Uh, specifically, the project is uh, located to the southeast of Centerville. Uh, the, that polygon on the bottom there is the main acreage that we have secured, and that small polygon is a piece of property that, where we will uh, build a small substation that will connect directly into the Carville substation, so we won't be tapping into a transmission line, but directly into the substation. This is an 86 megawatt project with a 20 megawatt energy storage system. Uh, all the acreage obviously is within Queen Anne's County. Uh, we currently have 390 acres uh, participating under long-term agreements. Uh, we are hoping to present the initial use permit application in the third quarter of 2021. And subsequently begin construction first quarter of 2023 and complete that by the end of the year to construction. This is a general site location map and uh, there is a key there. Uh, essentially what this map is showing is those two green acres, those two green uh, polygons at the bottom with hatched, uh, you know, green hatched area. Those are the acre, that's the acreage that's actually outside the two-mile district. Um, and then you will see a green line that progresses up towards that point of interconnection. Those other parcels that are outlined in, in yellow are participating as easement parcels. This will be an underground easement. This will not be seen from the road or by any of the residents in the area. And then some of these other parcels that are hashed in black are essentially parcels that um, decided not to do something different with their land right now. They do not want to participate in the, in the, in the project. Um, this land that we have today uh, is, it covers a good portion of what we need, but we are searching for additional acreage within the two-mile district. Now, there's a limitation here in that not every single parcel is good for a project like this. A very small amount of acreage doesn't make sense because of the setbacks. Um, we generally need parcels that are somewhat larger that will allow for proper engineering and construction. So while there are parcels in various spots there, some of them are not adequate for what, what we need. Okay, we've discussed this. I'll mention this again. The current regulations allow for the construction of utility-scale utility solar farms within the two-mile district. Our amendment, uh, what we were requesting through uh, Trip Callahan, is to allow for utility-scale solar on parcels that are outside the two-mile district provided that they are partially within that district. Um, this will also require conservation easement within the county, 
as an offsetting benefit. And we want to make a note that this amendment does not allow for the construction utility scale <coughs> solar anywhere outside. In fact, obviously the parcel needs to be connected to that two-mile district to qualify. So we're not opening up uh, the county to solar development in general. We're saying if there's a parcel and there's a landowner who wants to participate and they're partially within that district, let's allow some of that additional acreage to participate. Go back to the prior slide. Sure. Um, who owns the property, <coughs> the wooded property, that is not in green? Uh, that's all Paul Zelinka, Paul and William Zelinka. That whole parcel is theirs. Are you saying the, the one that's... Acreage that you say that you wish to put solar on that's partially within the two-mile district. There's a wooded yes. gap between the two green... Yes, arms. that's this right here, right? This gap. Oh, well, that's the, you have a forested uh, parcel next, to, just west of Trip Callahan, and then you have the, which is within the Paul Zelenka parcel. So his parcel actually comes all the way down, kind of like a funnel. The great majority of his parcel is actually forested. Okay, I'm going say that the, the proposal would be, so long as part of it is in the two-mile district, have to be in common ownership, we have a better slide that I think answers your question. Let okay. Yeah. Right. Skip forward. We'll get to that. <clears throat> Give you more clarification. Okay. What is the rationale for this request? As Brian, meant, as Ryan mentioned, there are serious transmission constraints in the county. We've uh, analyzed every transmission transmission segment that exists. There are twelve transmission segments above sixty nine kV uh, that would be adequate for a larger size project. There's only a single transmission segment that would allow for this project to be built. Uh, other transmission segments that have capacity have already got large-scale projects at further, further level of development. Um, there's also site suitability constraints. We measured uh, through different layers of available through Queen Anne County and other public sources. Really only about one-third of the solar district is suitable for, for development of, of solar. Uh, and then, of course, there's the issue of landowner participation. So we ran a suitability analysis uh, that shows the, the Queen Anne's County and its entire 239,000 acres. And then the second image on the right is the utility solar district. Uh, 239,000 acres reduces to about 98,000 acres. Uh, if we run uh, another layer here and we remove all residential areas, uh, we're losing additional acreage. As you can see, you can see more white there. And then if we're avoiding protected areas, which would be um, easements and everything that's already been in conservation, we've lost significantly more acreage. Finally, if we're avoiding uh, natural resources, uh, wetlands, forested areas, et cetera, you can see how we've got more uh, Le actually less suitable areas. And then finally on this last <coughs> slide, we have end up with about 30,000 acres that could potentially be developed. And you can see there where our project is located down there where it says Contra Solar. And I'm going to zoom in on this area to explain again uh, the issue. Uh, as you can see that, you know, the white area is the two-mile solar district, and it kind of takes a right turn there, follows a circuit that goes down to the right. Uh, 
Trip Callahan and Paul Zelenka's property are kind of right down there in that corner. You can see that part of Paul Zelenka's property is within that district and a very small part of Trip Callahan's property also touches that district. So our, our reasoning comes from this. We're saying we have these projects, we have these parcels, we have participating landowners that are interested in, in, in leasing their land. Um, they are technically within the district to some degree, but the acreage that is primed for what we want to do is just outside that district. So you're talking, you're talking this area right here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma so you're talking like a pinhead of area is okay versus the whole apple is not. If you turn to the next, if if you turn to the next page in your handout or look at the screen, there's a, a, a more zoomed-in image. So there's there's two parcels that are. Um, and, and let me let me stop and just make sure that we reinforce. We understand this text amendment applies throughout the county, but I thought it was very helpful to provide a context for the discussion rather than to deal with it in the abstract. So this text amendment isn't only focused on this project, but this is what gave rise to the text amendment. So we thought it'd be useful to have an illustration to walk through that. So the, the image that is on the screen, um, we have two parcels that are relevant to this discussion. One of them about, 45 or 50 percent of the panels would be in the USSA district. The, the balance would be outside. The second parcel, which is Mr. Callahan's parcel, you know, the the um, open land, the tillable ground, which is where we would put panels. The vast majority of that is outside of the district. That's correct. Uh, the corner, really the is. bottom portion, okay. is located within the district. Correct. And then the transmission easement runs up to the substation. Uh, we have various definitive. Um, you know, uh, we have landowners that have really declined to participate. They say, no, I'm, I'm going to do something else with this land. I'm not really interested in getting involved. And then we have other landowners that have provided easement access, uh, but uh, to date are, are not uh, interested in leasing land. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to convey with this image is that our anchor acreage is sitting just outside the... Um, the district, and there aren't that many options within that area to expand this project. We've spoken to essentially everybody, um, and to date, we don't have a positive on, on additional acreage. So if we don't have this anchor acreage within the project, then essentially we, we, don't, we don't really have a project. We do have a queue position. We've had that. The project's had that since 2018. Um, and and so essentially what we're trying to depict here is that it's key that we keep this acreage within the project, otherwise uh, we're going to be in trouble. Um, it just it won't have legs if we can't keep this main acreage intact. Um, also to mention here is the fact that we are cognizant that we're asking for an amendment, but that doesn't mean that we're in any way going to ask for any additional exemptions here. We understand that we're going to be, we're going to have robust landscape screening. We're going to meet all the fencing code, signage code. We're going to do the glare and, and glint analysis, noise uh, studies. Uh, we're going to respect the setback from residential and other uses. We'll provide a robust decommissioning plan, um, and we'll comply with all the standards in 18195S, and also with all applicable local, state, and fe federal regulations. So. This is a specific 
uh, situation that we're focused on in this text amendment and we're not trying to focus or, or request any additional uh, leniency here. And okay, quickly, we'll run through some of the direct economic impact based on uh, other projects and, and past history. We know that uh, we'll be paying property tax and we'll be hoping to have a pilot agreement payment. This will generate essentially uh, $200,000 to $300,000 per year, depending on how that uh, works out. We will uh, create 200 to 300 temporary jobs and all jobs and materials that can be sourced locally will be. Uh, our company is very focused on trying to keep the local community involved into the project as long as we can do that within our procurement policies. One to three long-term operation and maintenance jobs would be created. And this project will not create any additional burden on the county infrastructure or school systems. Uh, what it will do is be non-evasive and generate revenue for the county that can be used for other purposes. Okay, in summary, the amendment would introduce flexibility to the district to leverage solar suitable land and allow the county to take the, to get the county the opportunity to take advantage of significant solar resource. It will allow environmentally friendly solar in exchange for an increase in perpetual land conservation within the county. Uh, it will generate significant economic benefits to the county for 30 plus years and we're here to respectfully request your support in passing this amendment. I'd like to walk through some of the, the comments and recommendations that were in the staff memo if there are, but let me first ask, are there any, Sorry. are there questions before we, before we get to that? Okay. So um, as, as Jay noted, the, the purpose of this request is to try to find a win, find something that is beneficial for the county and also allows a project to progress. And the, um, as we've, we've kind of worked through a variety of different alternatives, you know, it be became very clear to us that um, the county has a focus on aesthetics, a focus on protecting the county landscape uh, while accommodating these uses, and that no deviations to any of that should be requested. And we're making it very clear that that's, that's not the case. The uh, two-mile dimension that was established, I, it, it's, it's a numerical value, but it is somewhat arbitrary. I know there was a basis for setting it at two miles before, but it could have been two and a quarter or two and a half. It, it, it's just a, a, a dimension. And so what we're seeking is a slight deviation in that dimension with an offsetting benefit that we think uh, advances additional goals of the county. And it, you have a letter from, from uh, Jay Falstead that I think makes some of the same points that, that I'm trying to is, if the county's going to accommodate solar and if solar could occur on this circuit uh, entirely within the USSA, it would comply with your landscaping and your screening standards, but there wouldn't be benefits beyond the economic benefits for that project. If it occurs on land that's slightly outside of that district, you get all the same you know, benefits and opportunities that exist, all the same screening, but you'd also get an added benefit, which is perpetual conservation, um, which we think offsets the adjustment to that, that uh, numerical limitation in your code. Um, 
there were a series of, of comments, and, and I'd like to respond to those, but we understand that this is um, something that may generate more dialogue. So if there's, if there's feedback, if there are refinements that need to be made, we're, we're open to having that dialogue today or, or after today. Um, th the first question was, if the designated location outside of the overlay district is approved, will the required preserved lands have to be on site? And, and our proposal is no. Um, it's, it's my belief that it may be more beneficial from an ecological or a landscape perspective to have preserved lands located in close proximity to other preserved lands. And so, you know, we're, we're open to the county's directions and preference. If the county has a preference that preserved acreage be on the same parcel as the solar, we're not opposed to that, but I think there may be greater benefit to the, the community and the landscape if there's more flexibility to cluster that uh, in areas where you have other MALF, MET, or other uh, protections that exist. Um, the second question, I, I have a similar response. If the subject property does not have enough remaining acreage to supply the preserved land, if the landowner has additional properties, will they be required to place that, that land in common ownership and preservation? We're not opposed to that requirement, uh, and certainly if we have a relationship with a landowner who has additional land, they might be a great uh, prospect for preserving some of their additional land. But in my mind, having the flexibility to get conservation in an area that makes the most sense is more important than linking it to common ownership. Um, how many development rights are retired compared to the preserved land? The, uh, the intent behind this easement, and, and if the language needs to be revised to make it clear, is that this be n new conservation, that the county get a net conservation benefit in exchange for this, uh, this flexibility. So the conservation easement requirement uh, should only be satisfied from lands that are not otherwise preserved. So um, something subject to a transfer of development rights, something that's got a non-contiguous you know, development right agreement in place, land that has some other forest conservation or conservation easement is not eligible. We're talking about protecting land that's not encumbered with additional protections. Um, the, um, it, in our drafting, we propose that the preservation occur within the ag zoning district. We're ambivalent and, and look to the county for its preferences. If the county would like to see that preservation in either the ag or the countryside or, or has some other direction, we'll follow the county's preference. Um, so if you have land that is developed for solar in one district and you're conserving land in a different district, obviously the development rights calculations may, may vary, uh, which is why I thought it would be best to focus on uh, acreage. Um, the next question is, if the landowner of the subject property does not have sufficient land to supply the preserved acreage, what method will be used to preserve required land on another property? And, and our response is that we're happy to use the, the conservation instrument or form that's preferred by the county. So if the county would like to use uh, an agreement along your you know, transfer of development rights or open space forms that uh, the planning staff and, and Chris are comfortable with and use in other contexts, that's absolutely fine. Um, to be honest, my, my uh, initial thinking was that we might use the state conservation easement form that is fairly standardized between Maryland Environmental Trust and the Maryland Ag Lands Preservation Foundation. 
but but we're we're agnostic so we'll follow the county's direction the intent is it's a perpetual conservation easement and that it run either for the benefit of the county or or for the benefit of of met or mouth or some other organization that regularly holds conservation easements ryan i've never known you to be either ambivalent or agnostic before <laughs> <laughs> we, we we understand we're making a request and, and we'd like to find a way that uh that we address the county's questions and concerns. And to be honest, we have to pay for perpetual preservation. The, the form that that's established really doesn't matter to us. Uh, what criteria will be used for the preserved lands? Uh, soil types, contiguous acreage, woodland or tillable acres, et cetera. Uh, and again, as, as I said before, the intent is to give the county a conservation benefit uh, and, and as as drafted, you know, the reference was to agricultural land. So our expectation is, if you're taking tillable ground out of production temporarily for solar, we're preserving tillable ground for the future, not, you know, buying an easement over woodland in exchange for using the tillable ground. Um, I'll get to a recommendation below, but the um, the county noted some soil. Uh, preferences that MALF uses, we're happy to follow the county's direction and preferences for how the, the conservation land is prioritized or identified. Um, will the same soil criteria used in non-contiguous development be applied for the required preserved lands for solar? Again, as I said, we're, we're happy to follow the county's preferences or directions in that regard. Who will prepare the legal documents for preserved lands and recording the document in the land records and who pays the legal fees? Uh, it's our intentions and expectations that this is entirely on the applicant. So just like the applicants required to produce a landscape plan and, and install landscaping that meets your standards, the applicants required to do all of this. The applicant would be responsible for negotiating and purchasing the conservation easements for preparing the legal documents to the satisfaction of the county uh, and for all of the cost of, of recording those, including any transfer tax or recordation fees. Does the total area of the solar project count as required acreage for preservation? Um, I, I think this probably can be clarified in the draft amendment. Uh, the draft amendment refers to the improvements associated with the project. It's our intention that basically everything inside of the fence solar panels, roads, inverters, everything inside of the fence be considered as the developed area. Um, land that's outside of the fence that is in a buffer or protected for forest conservation purposes associated with that site plan would not count as acreage that is improved or developed for solar. Uh, and then the, the staff have a series of recommendations. The first is that um, all conditional use standards will be required. We're happy to comply with that. Um, the second, uh, you know, notes that the word partial is subjective and it may be beneficial to indicate a percentage or an acreage amount. You know, I think that the challenge there is, you know, percentages are based on the overall size of a parcel. Um, and, I, and I think in my mind, having a property that is at least partially located within the district is sufficient. Uh, if you had a thousand acre parcel, you know, you could have 150 acres and be at 15%. If you had a 10 acre parcel that was willing to lease and be part of the project and, and just outside of it, that 15% might limit you to a very small amount. Um, if, if the county was focused on um, a different way to address that to make sure that the, uh, the extension beyond the district was not um, 
uh, overly extensive. If there's a very long linear parcel, for example, you know, maybe a different way to do it is to set an additional buffer, set a dimension, you know, an, an additional setback, if you will, beyond the two-mile limit to constrain that. Um, the next recommendation is that the proposed amendment comply with all the conditional use standards and that the amendment be revised to change the word design to conditional use to make it clear. Um, we're, we're happy to, to support that uh, clarification of this amendment. Um, and so this would provide that any solar development outside the USSA shall comply with all conditional use standards and requirements applicable inside the USSA. Um, the next comment, or all, the following comments all relate to the conservation easement consideration. And the first is that our amendment proposed the protection only within the Ag District. Um, the applicant should clarify if the easement most be, must be located in the Ag District, whether the array is proposed in the countryside or the Ag District. Again, the thinking behind the proposal was that there may be more benefit to the county in preserving land in the agricultural district than in the countryside district. But we're, we're happy to do whatever the county directs. If you want the acreage to match the underlying zoning, that's fine. If you want to provide flexibility in both districts, that opens up more land for potential protection. And, and we're happy to, to, to do whatever the county prefers. Um, I think I addressed the, the, the next recommendation is to clarify whether the easement must be located on the same parcel adjacent or anywhere throughout the county. I think there may be benefits to providing greater uh, flexibility and not requiring it on the same parcel, but we're, we're open to working with the county to address that. Um, the applicant indicated that the rate of conserving agricultural land is equal to one-third of an acre for every acre of land located outside of the district. Staff previously suggested a rate of one acre per one acre um, substantiate the, the ratio. And, and the logic behind our proposal is that this use is a temporary use. These, these facilities have essentially a 30 to 40 year lifespan and, and we're trading that for uh, conservation protection in perpetuity. And so our logic is that in exchange for that you know, essentially 40 year term, we will provide per perpetual preservation. Doing so at a ratio of less than one to one is, is what we propose. Um, I'm not going to read the, the whole next recommendation. I'll just summarize it to, to say it, it references MALF uh, criteria for um, prioritizing protection, looking at soil types, and, and we have no objection. We're happy to utilize that criteria or other priorities that the county establishes. Um, and then the, the last bullet notes that the proposed language states the conservation easement may partially encumber a property proposed for solar development. It should clarify where the other portion of the easement could be located. Um, the only reason it, it has that may language in the amendment, you, you have a provision that, that talks about prohibiting solar on lands that are uh, protected. And so the thinking is we want to have the flexibility to preserve uh, appropriate lands within the property boundary that is proposed for this development, but not be required to that. Um, so our, our belief is providing flexibility to preserve land adjacent to other conserved lands is more important than the artificial boundaries of, of an existing parcel or of, of uh, parcels in common ownership. Um, and then the last, I don't think it's really a recommendation as much as it was just a staff reference to the comprehensive plan. And, and I think it's important to note that we believe this, this allows the, the county to uh, implement multiple 
objectives. You know, one of your objectives is to develop affordable, reliable, and state-of-the-art infrastructure that meet the demands of the county's population. Solar, especially distributed generation that puts, injects power sources onto the grid um, within the county rather than relying on outside uh, solar uh, generation is a benefit. Um, this also allows the county an opportunity to protect and preserve agricultural land through deed restrictions in a manner that you wouldn't get if if it was on acreage just happened to be inside of that that uh, two mile limit how many houses are involved how i don't think either are either of these parcels do you mean in the vicinity of the project i don't know the answer as i sit here today i'm, I'm happy we're happy to look at that and provide that information it's a um, if we go back and you pull up that one slide, if you look at the aerial photo, it, it is in an area that does not have significant subdivisions or residential development around it. There are some homes, you know, that use those roads. Uh, but one of, the, one of the first siting factors, one of the first carve-outs, if you will, as we went through the district, was to exclude areas that have significant areas, concentrations of residential development. There's no portion of the county where there's no house, obviously, but, but the goal is to keep it in an area that minimizes any potential conflict. I believe that on the arrays that we have proposed now, uh, there's one. Just one house? And they're on board or they're happy with it or no? They're not participating within the project. We have not approached them yet. But <clears throat> going back to what we mentioned about screening and, and being sensitive to you know the whole aesthetics of, of uh, the countryside, um, yes, we would definitely approach them, speak to them, and figure out how we can address their concerns. If that means maybe more robust uh, setbacks or screenings or, or whatever it might take to satisfy them. I mean, within reason. Right. And, and this, remember this, this is driven by a project, but it applies throughout the county. So your, your normal landscaping and screening standards apply. You'll review and make recommendations before a conditional use application goes to the Board of Appeals and then also have uh, determination with respect to the site plan. So the property that we're talking about that initiated this text amendment, how many acres of that is usable for what you need and how much megawatts does it give? Well, the exact number, uh, I think there's roughly 290 acres there. But that's not taking into account setbacks and- I'm, I'm talking about what is, what is legally okay to use right now so within the district now if, if we go so back on that the one that caused this text amendment so right now the the two parcels if you look at your screen the the two parcels that that we're dealing with um how much is, is in the dark green the solid green how many megawatts can you get out of that versus how many you're asking for can I speak just a bit? I'm Trip Callahan. I'm the one that's uh, well, here. I'm not sure he knows you know, again. On my farm, you have to get to a microphone, though, sir. On, on my farm, the, the bigger block there, there's uh, roughly 300. Can you get to the microphone? There's roughly uh, 325 acres, and there's 250 roughly 254 acres tillable. And um, in dealing with um, open roads, renewables, 
who was the preda who's what I made the the lease with originally. Uh, Jay's companies only. Uh, they purchased the lease a few months ago. Um, Open Roads made an estimate that they probably would be able to use 240 acres of the 254 when you take off the buffers and all that type of thing. But how much in the all area? All of those are outside the two-mile two mile district. All 240 acres that he's talking about right. are outside okay. the, okay. the district. And I don't know about the other piece of property. I don't. I don't know how many acres we're talking about. Uh, the the other the Zelinkas is roughly um, two hundred acres. And the, the open the area is about one hundred and fifty, and I believe ninety are outside of the of the zone. Okay. Have any questions? Comments from the commission. So all of your existing is outside the two mile district. What's that? All of your property is outside of the two no, mile district. Not all of it. There's a little section of it, which is woodland. Right. Okay. There's a little section of woodland that is within the two miles. But the proposed area where you're going to build this is outside. All the, all the area that area on the far right side I mean yeah far right side all the panels will be outside the district all the that's panels what I'm asking yes right. I'll make a couple comments um, in as much as I think from staff I think I'm the only one that was here when this was done um, back in 2016 and 17 well I mean staff not not the commissioners uh, let me say two things. First, uh, the two mile, um, the width of the uh, district at two miles or, or, or one mile on each side of the transmission lines was not arbitrary. Uh, it was uh, picked in consultation with a variety of sources, including industry sources, who made it very clear to us that um, uh, being more than a mile away from a transmission line essentially rendered projects um, economically unfeasible. Maybe that's not the case now. Maybe something has changed since then. I see this easement that's snaking all over the countryside to get to the um, um, substation that they're going to build. Maybe that's something new that didn't exist back in the day. Maybe it's become more economically viable. But to suggest, as Ryan did, that this was an arbitrary uh, width, um, it's not so. Number two, um, I appreciate uh, Ensel's um, efforts uh, here at this level rather than ignoring us and simply going to the Public Service Commission, um, which they could do, um, and um, convince or attempt to convince the Public Service Commission to approve the CPCN application uh, over the um, what would be the objections of the county because it's not permitted by the zoning code. So I appreciate the fact that they're willing, that they're here at, at trying to convince you and the county commissioners uh, to uh, amend the zoning code so we don't have that fight in Baltimore, and I appreciate that. 
we may still have the fight depending on what happens with this amendment, but they're trying, which is, which I appreciate. And the conservation uh, easement set aside was a suggestion that we made, the staff made, and, and myself, in conversations with Ryan Showalter um, before this was submitted, and they, they, we didn't say we would necessarily endorse it, but that would be a good idea um, if they wanted to pursue this amendment. Bruce, could you ask Donna Landis Smith um, for her comments? Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, fine. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Evidently, she can't okay. hear us. Can you hear us, Donna? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Go right ahead. All right. Can you give me your comments on your thoughts on this project and identify what you do for the county? Uh, I work at the Soil Conservation Office and I administer the land preservation programs, the MAL program, Rural Legacy, and I also have input on the Maryland Environmental Trust easements. And I had spoken at, with Stephanie Jones in length about this particular text amendment. And we, we as an organization here at the Soil Conservation Office do not have a favorable or unfavorable recommendation. Myself speaking as far as the land preservation program, I think this is a wonderful opportunity if these solar projects are placed on a property to be able to utilize the um, preservation of other properties. And I had mentioned that we need to follow the basically the same criteria that we have in place with mouth or rural legacy or the non-contiguous development because we want to, as the gentleman said, preserve the best farmland. We don't want it to be non-tidal wetlands or lead, you know, the lesser desirable properties you know, with wetlands in the woods, we would prefer it to be, you know, a prime agricultural property. And we have many, many properties on the list waiting for that funding. And this may be a great source to be able to preserve some of those properties. Um, I was looking at the aerial map while you were speaking in that. There's only two houses directly across from the project where Mr. Callahan lives and four adjoining properties are already in preservation that adjoin that property. So it would be a win-win situation. Okay. We have any comments, any questions from the commission? I would also like to point out that the difficulties that the solar developers are having with um, locating lands is not, best I can tell, not the result of the two mile swath down the middle of the county. It's that they can't find enough property owners in that two-mile swath to participate with them. And that's not a problem with the zoning. I'm not encouraging or discouraging a recommendation here because, as I indicated, I'm pleased that the applicant is um, working with the county rather than ignoring the county and shoving something down our throats at the, at the Public Service Commission. Um, we can't help it if they can't find willing farmers. So I can, res can I respond to that? It's, it's true. Not that, to them, not to me. I'm sorry. There are not, 
that many parcels that are really adequate for, for solar. I mean, there may be within, uh, if we were to take the point of interconnection and we were to go out one mile in, in either direction, you're going to find all these constraints that we spoke of. And there may be parcels up there that look like they're appropriate, but many times they are smaller parcels or parcels that would require such a setback that they don't make sense to build on. So we generally need to find larger parcels because we take into account the setbacks, we take into account setbacks from any ag ditches or wetlands or things of that nature. We have to set back from trees because of the shade. And then all of a sudden a parcel that seemed like it was wonderful is really so-so. So it's, and now if we go to a smaller parcel that may be only 30 acres or 40 acres, we end up with really very little usable acreage. So it's true. There are, there, there is land within the two mile district, but we went through those filters and tried to demonstrate that a lot of that land really isn't appropriate or it can't be used. But then there's further uh, constraints on that, which we didn't really go through. And one is lot size, uh, et cetera, or it may be, you know, homes in the area. We, there may be only three or four homes in the area that could be affected, but we would generally be sensitive to that. And we're going to uh, make every effort within the design and the site plan and within the screening to make sure that we're not imposing on the community, but instead our interest is to be a long-term community member here and contribute. And, and I, I didn't mean to, arbitrary is probably the wrong word. Uh, I, I understand there was thought behind the district. I don't think when that was done, the detailed constraints analysis and siting analysis was, was prepared. Um, it may have been done at some level, but when you really work through that and then spend hundreds of hours and, and letters, you know, reaching out, um, you get to a place that's much more constrained than what that original two-mile swath was. So um, w what we're trying to do is find a way to have a project succeed where there is capacity in the county uh, and, and provide the county with a benefit. Um, and we think doing it in a way away from residences where it's well-screened, having, having solar on larger contiguous footprints instead of distributed within that, that two-mile zone on a bunch of 30 and 40 and 50-acre parcels has less of an aesthetic and landscape impact anyway. Uh, and so we really think this is a win. Uh, but, but we're obviously here for your feedback. And um, if you're in a position where you're not fully comfortable to make a recommendation today, we'd much rather have the opportunity to address comments or questions and come back in May than, than leave with a negative recommendation today. I have one more editorial remark which is not going to be solved, whatever happens with this amendment. For many years, we've struggled with um, the, well, not anymore given the septic bill, but when we used to struggle with the, the design appearance of major subdivisions in, in, in the ag district that were driven by PERC. And you get these weird configurations of lots chasing PERC tests. Um, in some regards, this problem is similar because what the solar developers are chasing is capacity in the system and uh, substations. Uh, rather, and so the locals, the counties, are stuck with this, that chase, just like we were stuck with these weird-looking subdivisions chasing perks. Wouldn't it be better for the solar folks and the state that's running this policy and the utilities and the grid to do a better job with the transmission capacity and substation availability 
and interconnection points so that, for example, this two-mile district would work as, work as designed. No, instead of those investments and that long-term thinking to improve the, the transmission system and the distribution system, the, the inhibitions that that inefficient system create produce the problems that we have today. I think it's upside down. We're not going to solve that. I understand that in this, in this forum. But if, if the state wants all this solar, fix the distribution system first. Get better capacity. Get more interconnection points. And then you're not spread all over the place such as this, such as we have. I'm, I'm done. Okay. I would say this is an opportunity, not a problem today. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Can I get a motion? We agree not to use salvage value in your de decommissioning plan? <laughs> That's an unfair question. <laughs> Can I get a motion? Madam Chair, again, recognizing that this is the first look at any of these, you know, rather large projects and requests, um, the first of many looks and, and layers and so forth. I will go ahead and make a motion for a favorable recommendation on text amendment number 21-04, allow for construction of utility scale solar outside of utility scale solar array district. Second. I'll second it. All in favor? Denise, can we get a suggestion that the that the applic that the um, staff and the uh, applicant work on this amendment to include what the applicant has indicated it's willing to include um, regarding standards for preservation. Um, whatever else was on the list that um, over the course of, of the next 30 days as it goes to the commissioners? That, that would be my preference because I don't want to set up a circumstance where what the commissioners receive is, is materially different. So if, if the recommendation incorporated what we acknowledge we're willing to, to incorporate, that would be more comfortable personally just so that. Oh, I will amend my motion to um to include that the uh, the applicants will work with staff to uh, to incorporate the suggestions um, of the planning and zoning staff moving forward. Thank you. Any discussion? I have a question, please, of the applicant. When you will you please describe or at least walk me through how you get power down that crookedest line on the map from the generation source right from your panel to that substation, what that looks like, how that is, is done? So the all of the parcels that are outlined in orange are, are properties that we have easements, we've negotiated easements for. We've not been able to negotiate the right to put panels on their property. So th so there, there's an easement corridor, and it will be installed underground. I mean, you may see it, there'll be a temporary disruption when conduit and, and wires are installed, but it's it's basically just an underground power line. But it's, it's 
it's installed from the surface. It's not directionally bored or, right, it's a, it's a standard excavator digging a big trench and you lay lines in? Not entirely. I mean, there may be areas that, of a forest where it's, it's better for us to install it by directional boring. That's Certainly stream crossings, wetland crossings, those are all directionally bored to avoid impacts. So you, in a nutshell, to avoid the difficult climb or dig or sensitive areas, you would consider or be forced to directionally bore versus open field, straight line, Absolutely. dig a trench, lay a line. The open field, it will be open cut, installed and backfilled and, and reseeded. But right. anything that is that involves, you know, going under county roads, we're likely to just bore those. Um, if not, we'll get approvals from Public Works Nothing to do something. Overhead. They will not be overhead. Thank you. The, the only thing, just to clarify, the substation will be located next to the Carvel substation that Delmarva Power recently constructed. The only overhead component is likely to be aerial lines that go from the project substation into the Delmarva substation. There'll be poles and it'll, it'll go over the fences on the, in on the, on, between those substations. On that massive substation That's that you right. see from 50. That you wouldn't even know the difference once yeah, it's installed. And, and, and adding one line to 1,000 out there. That's correct. Got it. Okay, thank you. Any other questions or comments? All right. May I may I make or do I need to council make? Let me just let me let me let me ask if I should amend the motion or add to the motion the 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 nugget that Mr. Showalter and I just discussed. Do we do we need to have that in a in a motion that you're just going to say? Oh, it's it's half the expense to cut down the trees and lay the line versus directionally bore so you're going to go that route even though there's a sense of species let's say i mean how do we how do we make sure that that component of my question is is comes to fruition as we move forward I'm, we're happy to amend the you know to address the amendment to incorporate that, that requirement you cause you great heart you know if i just no essentially um the ussa district already requires that all connections be installed underground okay so so that's already a requirement like of the district motion, then. is that is that your understanding thank you any other comments okay let's call for the question all in favor Aye. 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 Any opposed? Aye. So, you opposed, Jeff? That is correct. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You're welcome. I saw your email. You want to go right into the back? Are you going to have somebody at your office drafting all that so stuff? So we have a break? Today or tomorrow? Five minute break. Uh, yeah. Is Lauren here? Or do you know? Yeah, they are. Uh, I'll okay. just get ready to answer. What, what's the, what's the five minute break? Back in session. We're good. For February, uh, yeah, for February, for April the 8th, 2021. <laughs> and we are with Lauren Good, Ray Mart. Moravec of Wallace Montgomery, and you're going to lead the comprehensive plan workshop.
Yes, we are. Uh, thank you so much for having us here this morning oh, to continue up. our discussion on the comprehensive plan. She mentioned, uh, my name is Lauren Good, and I'm the uh, project manager for Wallace Montgomery. Ray uh, is also joining us, but he's at the back of the room at the moment. Um, and then beside me is Elizabeth Watson with Heritage Strategies. Uh, they are the uh, the firm that is uh, the subconsultant that is working on the historic and cultural resources component of the plan. Um, Elizabeth has extensive background in this area um, and is very, very well known and recognized for her contributions to that to the field. So we're excited to have her with us. Uh, so with that, we will just go ahead and jump right in. Please uh, interrupt me for any questions or comments that you have as we move through the presentation. First, we would like to update you on the outreach efforts uh, that have been undertaken since uh, we were last before you. Uh, we have held two additional special topic workshops, um, numbers four and five on housing, economic development, uh, and town planning. Uh, so those we've uh, now had five of our eight workshops are completed. We've held additional technical committee meetings, um, had uh, several social media posts, project email updates, um, updates to the website, and have conducted interviews with various staff members and residents uh, and other um, uh, stakeholders outside of the uh, workshop components. Uh, we've also worked with the Chamber of Commerce, uh, who has uh, graciously been forwarding our information uh, with those email updates and announcements about the project uh, and any meetings or workshops to their listserv. Uh, so those are reaching an additional, I believe, 1,600 people within the county. So that's uh, great to have that um, that added support How many people through are you this process. The, the last couple workshops, because I was out of town. We had, let's see, we have uh, ranged every, anywhere from about 20 to 40 people at our special topic workshops. Um, those numbers also include uh, county staff um, uh, who have uh, provided some input and responded Amazing. to questions. Um, and uh, we, um, we feel that uh, the level of input that we have received throughout this project has actually been uh, pretty substantial in, in terms of both the uh, quality of the comments that we're receiving as well as the, uh, the quantity of those comments. Um, as you know, holding the workshops virtually, uh, people are able to voice their opinions or write in comments via the chat box or polls. Uh, we, uh, from our experience, we're getting more people um, providing comments uh, than we think we would have in a face-to-face -face situation. Um, and, and they are probably a uh, different component of the county. So we're really excited to be um, pulling in that additional information. Um, so we have, let's see, I think between our people who have signed up for our listserv as well as uh, organizations that we've added uh, our own contact list is well over 500 people um, and that also includes um, a number of county county staff at various levels um, uh, so that um, helps to address some of the issues from um, that were mentioned last time about putting out additional information to staff members organizations etc 
the input that we have been receiving uh, through both the virtual meetings, uh, comments to our questions of the week, uh, through the, the community survey that was undertaken, and then comments that are just coming in through the project website, uh, have been fairly consistent. Um, you know, there are, there are, of course, a few topic areas where there are differing opinions, but um, overall, I would say the, the, the input is, con is, is pretty consistent, uh, which is, is great to see. Um, and then uh, just uh, just to highlight, um, you know, these these visioning workshops uh, that we completed several weeks ago and the special topic workshops are the um, uh, two of the main pieces and opportunities for um, for citizens, residents and other stakeholders to participate and for the uh, planning commission and county commissioners to listen to the input from the public. Um, and then we are incorporating that information into our drafts, bringing that to you um, and to the technical committees that we are having with county staff. Um, and this, this forum, these workshops are um, really that, that good opportunity for you um, as the, the planning commission to provide us any comments or questions that you have um, either on information received during those other workshops or on the draft, draft chapters. Um, and then, of course, um, we will update the, the chapters and any information based on all of that, those comments um, and revise drafts uh, for that, that final draft for you all to recommend to the county commissioners. Um, and then at that point, they will uh, review the draft themselves and uh, make the vote on adoption. So that will, of course, take place a little later on in this process. Um, and again, to just to um, continue this this update very briefly. Again, over 500 um, 500 contacts just on our side. Uh, we've had um, over 1,100 uh, people, uh, individual people that are using the project website. So that's a fantastic number. Um, they've they've um, had over 2,000 sessions and over 5,000 page views. So those are you know we're really excited by by that level of interest and involvement in this project. Um, as you can see with these, the questions of the week, uh, we, again, it's not a, um, any kind of a statistically valid survey, but just, you know, getting those little pieces of information, uh, extra pieces of information. And uh, with those, again, anywhere from about 15 to 30 responses, depending on the specific topic area. Um, these are not questions where we are focusing any decisions or anything like that, but just trying to provide a little bit of additional insight into the various uh, areas within the plan. Uh, and then uh, just specifically um, for the, uh, the two topics that we are discussing today, which uh, would be housing and the historic and cultural resources section, uh, this question um, that was part of those questions of the week asked, uh, what do you think the county's uh, priorities should be related to the provision of housing? So the responses here that we heard were that uh, there should be a focus on walkable and bikeable communities, uh, we should encourage more workforce housing or um, housing for moderate income residents and families, uh, promoting affordable housing opportunities, uh, particularly for low income residents and families, and then offering more senior and assisted living opportunities. 
Uh, when we look at the question regarding the types of historic properties that uh, the respondents were most interested in seeing preserved, um, the, the highest uh, number were the traditional cultural landscapes, um, uh, farming and, and ranching, et cetera. Um, and um, then we went to locally owned uh, historic public buildings, um, followed by uh, mining and industrial sites. Uh, so very interesting um, diversity of, of um, high priorities uh, with those responses. <coughs> Uh, and then um, we, there was the uh, community survey that was uh, completed uh, back in late uh, 2019, or uh, yes, 2019, early 2020. Uh, and those uh, topics that were focused on housing um, included um, how important is housing to uh, quality of life. Um, so as you can see in that first chart, um, looking at affordable housing in particular, um, over, well, close to 90% of people thought that uh, affordable housing was either important or very important. So that really speaks volumes to, um, to that topic. Uh, and then um, also looking at um, housing affordability, again, uh, over um, or close, again, about 85% uh, thought that affordable housing was very important to, uh, important or very important to future development efforts. Uh, the question was asked about the appropriate role for various uh, county officials uh, related to different uh, different topic areas, um, and uh, about 75% of people thought that residential housing should be either encouraged uh, or remain neutral, um, and then. Um, a, while about a third of respondents felt that um, vacation homes should should be discouraged um, versus other uh, other types of um, housing, uh, and then a uh, another question was about the um, how housing costs, the cost of living, and the sense of community has been impacted by the development that we've seen over the last ten years or so. Um, so as you can see here, um, there's been much more of a negative uh, impact, uh, at least the perception from respondents, on um, the cost of housing as well as the cost of living. Um, and the uh, sense of community um, is, is uh, positioned a little bit better um, with about 50% of people saying that there's been positive or very positive, but there's still that other 50% uh, who um, are either neutral or um, feel that the sense of community has um, been negatively impacted. So those are all uh, sort of important things for us to keep in mind as we move through this process, just the perception of those various, uh, those various issues. Um, this, uh, this question was uh, pulled from the uh, draft housing study. Uh, so we're fortunate that these uh, two processes are uh, being undertaken at the same time uh, so we can benefit from this additional, more specialized uh, look at housing. Uh, so one of the questions their survey asked was, what kind of support is there for um, what was called less expensive types of housing? Um, and the respondents either um, 
strongly supported or at least supported with some kind of conditions the various uh, housing types here from duplexes and townhouses to cottage homes or tiny houses in a backyard um, and even to small apartment buildings or those uh, with fewer than 20 units, uh, where we really started to see people uh, objecting either somewhat or strongly was the provision of those larger apartment buildings or over 20 units. <clears throat> and then looking at some of those same questions uh, about uh, when we talk about historic resources, um, quality of life, uh, both cultural activities and diversity all ranked um, important and very important, um, and the historic preservation and availability of cultural activities also rated um, very highly uh, in relation to um, how important they are to future development in the county. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we, we have had uh, a few additional special topic workshops. Um, our, our first one uh, focused on housing. And um, here we, we heard that um, the a number of available lots, uh, the MPDU program um, and luxury housing were uh, really assets within the county. Uh, but there was, again, that real need for affordable housing, entry-level housing, multifamily units, um, and then next-up housing, which is uh, the type of housing that is present for those that are um, moving out of uh, being homeless. Uh, so what is, what is the step between, say, a homeless shelter and um, a, a traditional living situation. Uh, so some of the goals and actions that uh, our participants wanted to see were um, a more solid foundation for a, a homeless shelter. I'm sure, as, as you know, the, the one shelter uh, that uh, the county does have is um, sort of at the, um, uh, is very dependent on the, uh, the, the uh, property owner's um, willingness to have rooms within the church serve as that shelter. Um, so it's, you know, a, a could could be a somewhat tenable situation should that desire change. Um, also, uh, some goals were uh, if there were ways to simplify land use policies, uh, make sure that any infrastructure that is needed is in place um, either prior to housing being developed or in concert with, uh, and then making sure that there is uh, more of that affordable work workforce or attainable housing. Our historic and cultural resources workshop um, really focused on uh, the the assets, uh, the the historic sites within the county, which which um, they're they're great historic assets here, and everyone really appreciates those, um, as well as the working waterfronts that really speak so much to uh, the county's history, um, and. Uh, Respondents um, ad identified additional needs related to um, tourism that would really bring these items to the forefront um, of the county. Um, uh, needed, uh, thought there was more of an appreciation for the county's heritage, um, and making sure that uh, the historic properties are are documented um, and accessible, um, and that there was equity in terms of what resources are are being preserved. Uh, so the goals and actions that were identified were um, uh, more studies on the um, uh, the breadth of the properties that uh, are historic within the within the county, um, 
an endeavor to support more historic trades, um, whether that is through training um, or workforce development, um, and then protection of archaeological resources, uh, as well as looking into a digital presence uh, that would inform, um, I guess, broaden the um, information that is available to, um, to the public. Sorry, Lauren, would you go back one just before sure you leave can. that? Question about that, the right-hand side, what resources are most important? Is that significant public buildings? <coughs> Not significant public, and then yes, that buildings. is that. It looks like and it splits with the column there. At the risk of sounding odd, what, 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 how, how, how do we, what, why is women listed there? So it's not necessarily um, a a not necessarily a structure, but structures that would have been um, important to um, women uh, women's history within the county, and also. Um, just recognizing the important roles that um, that women or, or particular women have, have played. Um, and I don't know if Elizabeth, if you wanted to, if there's anything you wanted to add. I'm trying that. to think of an exact, you know, the, the, the year the woman was okay, has just Harry ended. Tubman like Harriet Tubman or, yeah. or historical yeah. figures. Right. Not just why women not, in general. Well, and actually, why, you, why women? Yeah. I, I, I don't understand that. I like historical people or, or I just wanted to get some context it, of what it, that means it may it, it maybe more appropriately would be um, um, historical women uh, figures um, within the county's history about historical figures yes that is that let's as well start, I mean these are the, the female or the and woman and or... you know these are these are just the um, the different uh, specific uh, uh, topic areas that were brought up during this um, during this workshop. So again, we, we also um, have African-American um, uh, uh, history and figures as well as Native American. Um, so sort of in that same vein. So they could all come under historical mm -hmm. figures. Absolutely. And people want more stories. You know, there's a story down in, in um, Ocean City that I learned a long time ago that women founded a bank down there and still still in action. And they were the wives of the watermen. And so they needed financial resources. So finding stories like that that talk about how you built the community and, you know, looking for it everywhere, not just simply in the usual suspect places. And, and uh, I think everybody's just asking for more stories now. It's been interesting to watch. But let's, can we switch it to historical figures? It is Queen Anne's, sure. right? I mean, I get the, I get the nod, but just I, just wanted, <laughs> I wanted some context of what that meant, other than possibly just one out of the 29 people said women. Right. Um, I don't want to obviously belittle the, the answer. I just wanted to get what that means to you as someone who, who, who heard that and then sure. obviously listed it here. Thanks. Um, so with that, if there are no other questions on the uh, the, the input that we've that we heard so far, um, we we used that as well as um, the information from our uh, technical uh, technical committee meetings uh, and conversations with various county uh, county staff um, and other stakeholders uh, to develop the chapters. Uh, so the first chapter that we are going to be discussing is housing. Um, and here, uh, similarly to the rest of the chapters, there are the same sort of standard components, the, the vision, key issues and themes, guiding principles and legislation. Uh, and then again, uh, sort of an overview of that public input related to this topic. 
particularly for housing, uh, we then get into the inventory of the uh, various housing resources, um, a discussion of affordable and workforce housing, um, sort of the what's in the pipeline as far as housing goes and what are the needs of the county, uh, discussed various organizations and resources uh, that are present or work within the county, um, uh, an overview of some best practices or tools and techniques, uh, and then we go into the goals, strategies, and actions. Um, and I just uh, sort of at the, the outset of this conversation, uh, we just wanted to clarify when we talk about affordable housing in this, uh, in this particular context, we were discussing housing that is um, no more than 30% of a person's income. So that obviously varies depending on, um, on what a household's income level is, um, but that's sort of that, uh, that standard uh, that is used across the board when discussing affordable housing in general. Um, digging a little deeper into the specific sections, uh, we get more into the, the levels of affordability. Uh, so for those that are, that make um, under uh, the median income um, and how far under. And um, so as we get to those, uh, those lower income levels, that affordability becomes um, even more critical. Uh, for this update, um, in addition to that, the input that we heard, uh, we, used information from the, the last census, um, the most recent um, American Community Survey data, um, a, a somewhat recent affordable housing assessment, and the data roundup for child and family well-being results that also talked to um, housing needs for uh, students and children within, within the county. Uh, and then again, we were fortunate enough to be able to pull information from the draft housing study uh, into, this, uh, into this discussion. Um, so, um, when, when we were uh, creating this draft and hearing input, um, resoundingly, the, the item that continued to come up was affordable housing, attainable housing, missing middle, and workforce housing, and those are really all related. Um, when we talk about workforce housing, uh, that is making sure that there's housing available for um, the communities, uh, firefighters and nurses and teachers, um, um, making sure that there is housing available for um, those young adults who may be uh, children of the community, but you know, once they get to the age where they are uh, looking for their first, their first home, that entry-level home, is there an opportunity for them to find housing within the county, um, or do they have to live um, outside the county and commute in uh, for uh, work, ex work experience, um, it, or is that more of a, a balanced connection? Uh, so that also ties in with uh, another conversation, which was on diversifying the housing base. Uh, so not uh, not solely um, promoting the traditional single-family homes or the larger uh, the larger homes that are on multiple acres, um, but then also looking at some of those other opportunities, uh, such as um, either apartments or um, duplexes, townhouses, the cottage homes, um, so really that broad range. And the conversation that we heard was that um, it, it's very difficult to find um, even rental housing availability within the county, but particularly rental housing that is in an affordable um, 
at an affordable price point. Um, and if there were a uh, broader diversity of housing options available, it may ba balance things out a little bit more. Uh, so if there's more supply, the cost of the existing housing may, may come down, um, which would then um, in turn allow for um, increasing affordability and housing options for those that um, do not have as much income to put toward their, their housing uh, uh, situation. Um, another uh, concern um, or discussion that was held was uh, regarding aging in place. Um, so more, more and more, um, we are seeing that people don't want to have to uh, move out of the move out of uh, their community um, as they hit different uh, age age brackets. Um, you know, is there is there an opportunity for someone to um, who either uh, you know graduated high school or college and is looking for their their first their first home or that entry level housing to then uh, move throughout the housing spectrum um, to say you know a, a more traditional uh, single family uh, unit um, and then as people retire um, wanting to um, move into smaller uh, smaller units that may not have as much upkeep um, and then beyond uh, sort of that retirement phase when you get to um, thinking about housing that is appropriate for the elderly is that opportunity available so not only can uh, existing houses be renovated or built so that they are accessible um, should should people um, need um, you know wheelchairs or help getting around or it's not as feasible for them to be using stairs all the time um, wider doorways and things like that to are there are there um, opportunities for either assisted living or nursing homes or things like that within the community um, so that people don't have to leave um, the county which they consider to be their home Um, so those were, you know, that those were really uh, tied together as as a big piece of the discussion um, of housing needs, and to help uh, help to see some of those things be um, be answered or to help reach some of those desires, um, there was a discussion about, you know, how how can we really do that? Um, you know, there's how can we go beyond just traditional market housing to to get some of these additional um, housing components here, uh, and that was um, you know looking at um, a variety of bonuses and incentives, um, and are they appropriate and in what format? And that could be anywhere from. Uh, looking at some increased uh, density availabilities to, um, you know, is, is there an opportunity to, um, you know, shave off some, um, some of the fees or costs associated with um, affordable housing development? Um, so that discussion uh, occurs within this chapter uh, as well as the, the housing study itself. Um, some of those same discussions were um, were held regarding the moderately priced dwelling units and that program um, and thoughts about how that could be um, more more widely used uh, and then um, we also had um, as i mentioned there was a discussion of the um, the the homeless situation within the county and um, that's that's one area where um, we didn't speak to it quite as much and we would um, we would like to provide some additional information, but um, just that the tenuous nature of the the um, the the shelter and um, 
we, we had some statistics that there were, I think this, this past year when, we, when uh, COVID was occurring, the, um, what, is what has traditionally been a seasonal shelter um, more in the winter months um, has became a, a full, full year, full time shelter. Yeah, yep. um, and there have been um, close to 100 people um, making use of that over this year. Um, and over 30 of those were, um, or close to 40, I believe, were actually children. Um, so, you know, I, on a I, daily basis. Um, not not on a daily basis, but um, throughout that process. And there are definitely some some overlap there. Um, I believe um, when I spoke to the uh, director for Haven Ministries, who um, uh, facilitates the shelter, when they are in their uh, their traditional shelter location, I believe that they are limited to between um, uh, 10 and 15 people at a time um, while they are utilizing the church. Uh, with the COVID situation, because those numbers increased, they actually went to a... Um, <coughs> a hotel and were able to work with them for a larger space uh, due to the um, just the the need for it. Um, but had they not had that opportunity available, um, they wouldn't have been able to help nearly as many um, uh, community members um, as as they did. Um, and they they do uh, work with community members from the county. So there, there aren't um, people coming in from those, uh, from the uh, neighboring counties to utilize those services. I guess that's, um, um, did, uh, did you have any questions or comments on, um, on the housing component of the, uh, the plan so far? They all seem fairly common to almost every jurisdiction, you know, I mean, the homeless shelter issue, the affordable housing for the working, you know, people, I mean, it's nothing magical. The question is solutions and um, seeing what the best practices in a given jurisdiction that's, that's working. Uh, there are now companies on the stock exchange that are going in and buying entire communities and turning them into rental units in order to create affordable housing for the workforce. I mean, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's a big issue. And most of it comes down to land use and access to water and sewer and putting everything else in place. Where do we go from here? Uh, well, we are... Um we are still incorporating some of the uh, comments that uh, we've heard from uh, staff members and are still uh, expecting some additional comments to come in uh, on this uh, on this chapter itself. Um, and the uh, the housing uh, study is uh, due to be finalized um, within the uh, not too distant future. So again, any changes between the draft and that still version on schedule? for our for our work, yes, mm -hmm. we are um, we are on schedule with uh, what we've outlined. Uh, we have not yet set dates for any of the um, sort of the adoption phase, which is where um, this this commission would um, recommend to the uh, 
to the county commissioners the plan and then have them begin their review and um, uh, the public hearings that are associated with that. We have some tentative dates that are um, penciled into the schedule, um, which would um, really have the draft presentation of the, the full plan um, happening in uh, probably in, in late late July, early October, um, and then taking the, the process through. Um, our schedule incorporates um, a few additional meetings that haven't been specifically identified the need uh, for them. So whether there's a, a workshop with the, an additional workshop here or that the commissioners wanted um, an additional workshops, uh, but we are still um, on schedule to um, wrap up everything um, as far as the adoption process by um, uh, by November, and then it would just be a matter of finalizing, you know, any uh, d just the final deliverables. But your draft presentation will be in July, not not because you went July October. <laughs> after we after we have the presentation, um, there there's the p sort of that period, uh, the official public comment period. But you still have the draft presentation for July, right? It is tentatively slated for july yes okay because the way you you said it it was like you went july october you're going to be there somewhere in that time well so we see july not october we have the yes i i um sorry about the that i, I was not more clear um we would we are right now looking at having that draft presentation in uh, tentatively in late July and then opening up a longer period of official public comment on that draft and then our next scheduled uh, meeting would would then be um, uh, in potentially in early to mid October um, so that gap is really the uh, that official public comment period that that's required by um, you know the state and and um, those regulations um, as well as that gives the opportunity to um, provide the plan to the uh, the state agencies for their review through their uh, their required processes and get those responses back as well any questions from the Commission or comments no seems like you're doing a good job thank you always always very nice to hear appreciate that so then we will move on to our discussion of the historic and cultural resources chapter here again uh, we focused on some of those uh, those same standard items um, and then when we look into the the specifics related to this this chapter and topic uh, there's a, um, a discussion on the the history of the county itself um, benefits of historic uh, preservation, um, both um, uh, tangible and economic, as well as um, as well as those uh, sort of social benefits that we see. Uh, a discussion of the various um, uh, and, and broad range of historic and cultural resources that are present here in the county, uh, the different organizations that work toward preservation. Uh, some again, some best practices and tools and techniques that um, that um, may be considered or are examples of, of things that are being done elsewhere. Uh, and then again, looking at the various uh, strategies and actions um, that are um, uh, some of them are uh, sort of carried over from the the last plan that um, that had not been accomplished. Others are. Um, more uh, more specific and have come out of the the various uh, input that we've heard through our public dis 
public uh, discussion processes so far. Um, and with that, um, I, since uh, we have the expert with us, um, I'm going to turn this over to Elizabeth to sort of walk you through those uh, key discussion issues uh, that, that we heard um, related to the historic and cultural resources. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over to you. I'd like to start with just a note about the benefits that are uh, discussed in this, and, and there are four different um, categories, and, and one was pretty interesting to look at specifically for Queen Anne's County, and that was the jobs and rehab tax credit situation. In the last 20, 21, 22 years, um, uh, property owners in Queen Anne's County have qualified for a million dollars of tax credits. That sounds like a lot. It's not for over 20 years. Um, that would mean if you do the multiplier, that's 20, you get a 20% refundable tax credit. So if you spend $100 on a property, qualified, Mother May I through Maryland Historical Trust, you spend $100, they'll send you back 20 They'll either reduce your tax credit, or if you don't have a tax bill to absorb that tax credit, they'll send you back the rest as a check. So it's a very valuable tax credit, and it supports high-paying, good trades jobs locally. Plumbers, carpenters, all the kind of people who have to lay hands on a building. It's more valuable to put historic preservation money into, into buildings and new construction, roads, new houses, everything. It's all, it's all more valuable to the county to encourage economic development through historic preservation than through new development. I'm not saying you don't want new development. You do. You want, to have, you want to be a prosperous county in order to support historic preservation. There's no question of that. But don't ignore the fact that you can get payoff by encouraging property owners to invest in their property. So we want to figure out how can we get that for you. So jobs and rehab tax credits is one big benefit of historic preservation. The others are sort of the better known, the heritage tourism and placemaking piece of it. People really love coming to Queen Anne's County. Um, the, um, the whole business of heritage, history and community, you saw that, I think, in the, in the statistics. I think you scratch anybody here. I mean, I could have a conversation with a, a long ago when I first moved here, more than 20 years ago, I had a conversation with a guy pumping gas for me back when they did that. And, and he started telling me about, about a, a history story for Queen Anne's County. You know, it's, it's just everywhere. You find it everywhere. So let's encourage that. People are proud of the county. It's a part of your identity. And it, 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 there's an economic value to that. People want to invest in a community that, that loves itself. And then lastly, the environmental benefits. It keeps, keeps stuff out of the landfills. Um, the greenest building is buildings already built. We should really be careful what we tear down because there's a lot of energy invested in that, a lot of uh, cost of replacement. Um, the greenest building is buildings already built. So those are some benefits. Um, so looking at the list of, of key issues, um, we, we, um, you don't have enough information, recent information about your historic properties. Best practice is to try to go out uh, 50 years, anything 50 years or older. Um, and that means that buildings from 1980 you know, on, or 1970 on are old now. And you at least need to know what's out there. I, I, I spotted a really nice mid-century modern building out on Ken Island. Um, and we don't know where those are. And it's, it's good to know where they are. It's just good to have an inventory. So we, we really want to see an, an understanding of where all that is and encourage private residential investment, try to prevent the loss of resources. Um, 
part of that is that I think some owners may not appreciate what they have. Um, let's get the story out there, more stories, as, as I said earlier. Um, a Historic Preservation Commission could help lead this. Um, when people hear Historic Preservation Commission, they think zoning. And it does come under the land use ordinance, your power to create the Historic Preservation Commission. But we, we see it as being modeled uh, along the lines of what Kent County has already done for years, actually. And um, it allows property owners to voluntarily get a designation from the county which would qualify them for those rehab tax credits from the Maryland Historical Trust. That's about the only regulatory piece of this. Really, the Historic Preservation Commission is to help uh, lead the inventorying, encourage more National Register nominations for a, a county of, the, of a, the count that you've got in terms of the Maryland Inventory of Historic Properties, which is more than 700. You only have 39 properties listed in the National Register. I'm used to, in counties that bring me in, I'm used to finding about 100 when I open Wikipedia and I go look, um, which you can do for Queen Anne's County and go see where they are. And, um, and the list is also in your, in your document. You have 68 or so already knowing they're eligible and all they have to do is, is get listed if they want. If they're listed, they can get the tax credit. It's hard to get a listing. So that's why the county, as a substitute for going through the National Register, is needed. So the commission becomes a place where there's conversation about what the community needs. Support for the Historic Sites Consortium, which is a model nationwide. You guys created this thing in the 1990s, and um, it's still popular. People still you know, are hungry for those little brochures. And I think now when people are sort of visiting from home, um, the opportunity on Saturdays is the, as spring is here to go see those sites is a, is a benefit for your community. There is one tiny amount of money available. <laughs> it's not a whole lot of money, but I uh, talked to Catherine Hager, your county clerk, about doing this. The, the state allows the county to request that a portion of the marriage license fee be devoted to historic resources. Um, it would be about $1,000, so I'm not promising you the, the moon here, but, <laughs> but it would be a start. It would get you a place to put funds, and then you could get mitigation money from state highway projects or other kinds of um, things that happen in the area. And, you know, there's a very big state highway project beginning to be discussed. You think? Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Um, and, um, you know, mitigation in terms of how long, oh, Lord, has Ken Island suffered might be a conversation you could be having about funding for somebody else besides the county's own tax monies to go into some of this. But that's a long-term thing. But I'm sort of trying to get you on a trajectory to have more resources to devote to the things that, his, that Queen Anne's County can and I think should do. Um, the History Book Project is something that's been hanging around for a long time. A lot of people know about it. Um, you have a, a committee that's formed to try to get the funding. Um, I think you should challenge them. And your big opportunity is, remember the bicentennial and how everybody got really excited about the bicentennial? Well, the semi-quincentennial, the 250th, is 2026. And so it's time to get ready. And you have an incredible opportunity. You have so much pre-revolutionary history here and sites and resources. So, you know, a history book project at this point would then become the ability to, you know, get a lot more stories recorded of a wide variety um, and, and really be like your Emory history book, um, the Emory book, which was 1876. So now we're talking 2026 to get a, a really great book in, in place for, for the future. So there's a lot of different ideas in the plan. Uh, it's really exciting. People um, in the participation in our workshop have been, have been very lively, um, very passionate 
about all this. And I think um, if you put this in place, I think you'll find a lot of support in the community for it. Good. All right. Thank you. Uh, so did anyone have any uh, specific questions or comments about, uh, about the draft itself? Um, as a reminder, we are still continuing to get some comments back from, uh, from county staff and we'll be incorporating that. And um, there are already a few places where um, we, expect, we expect to have some changes um, within, within this draft. Uh, so to, to build on those efforts, um, any questions or comments that you all may have? Nope. Okay. Anything? Okay. That brings us to public comments. Actually, be oh, before we, I just have one one little thing to um, just to mention. Um, so this this slide is our traditional slide with uh, some upcoming dates. Um, we have uh, another few uh, special topic workshops, um, and then uh, that. The, uh, the one in June will be our last workshop, so there's three more left for the, uh, the public to participate in. These are all virtual? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, if, um, if anything changes, we'll, we'll definitely let you know, but um, at this point we are still planning to hold these virtually. Um, and then the next few uh, planning commission meetings um, are listed. Uh, so next month we will uh, be discussing economic development and tourism. Uh, and then in June we have uh, both our uh, both the, the standard workshop that takes place during your regular meeting um, and then the special meeting uh, later on in the month uh, to look at town planning, community plans, um, environmental resources, and then to revisit the community facilities and services chapter specifically since that does tie in with uh, so many of the environmental resource components. Uh, so I do um, uh, one, one more comment. Um, uh, if there are um, any additional comments for, for these chapters or any of the ones that we have already reviewed and discussed, um, if, if, as you've had time to uh, sort of think about them some more or um, see some of the other, other sections, if it's jogged any new comments or questions, um, please, we're, we're just asking that you um, either send them to, to Stephanie, uh, who will share them with us, or you can send them directly to me and I will share them back to, uh, to the staff. Um, this this opportunity to look at these drafts, um, you know, it's it's great that we can we have this amount of time before we get to that next draft, uh, which is really what we are looking for as sort of the uh, the precursor to that official draft plan um, that will then move forward into um, into the formalized review process. Uh, so you, so we're hoping that um, if you if you all do have any. Uh, additional comments or questions, you let us know as soon as as soon as possible, so that we can adequately address them here. Um, and then, um, you know, we don't get to the point where um, we're, uh, you know, at the eleventh hour before the draft plan, and then um, either re um, uh, revising or m just wanting to make sure that everything fits appropriately within the plan itself. Um, so, any of those comments or questions, please let us let us know about them. Um, and then speaking about the next drafts, um, just wanted to uh, get your input um, on how you would like those to be presented. Um, the actual chapters, would you be more comfortable seeing something in a track changes form or uh, just more of a within your briefing memo that highlights uh, major changes or within the document itself sort of um, highlighted or colorized areas uh, that uh, just show where those changes Usually have the taken place. Itself with, the, with the colored areas, I would think. What do you think? Same. 
So sort of more just um, block highlights of areas that have had, had changes. Wonderful. That yep. is great. All right, well, um, with that, again, any comments or questions, please uh, please send them to us. And uh, we thank you so much for having us before you, uh, before you this you morning coming. and look forward to seeing you next month. Okay. Any public comments? Uh, we did have some people join late. Uh, I see Jack now has just started his video. I'm gonna unmute Jack and I believe hey, he Jack. has a comment to make. Oops, sorry, I just muted you. That's my fault, Jack. It looks like he's trying to talk. There we go. All right, hold on, Jack. We can't hear you. Mate. About now. Yep, we got you. All right, we got you. Okay. Now. Great. Thank you guys um, very much. I just wanted to um, affirm from the point of view of the Kent Island Heritage Society that I represent that this has been a quite a dynamic process. I, I want to thank Amy and uh, Lauren and Elizabeth uh, for their role in this. And I, I really do encourage you to take a strong look at the draft. I think this, this is our best opportunity yet for Queen Anne's County to step up and carry our heritage forward. Uh, Elizabeth said it's not only about the places, but about the stories. We have rich stories. Uh, and this, again, this is a real opportunity not to just depend on nonprofits and uh, passionate people who care like we do now, but to continue to have uh, them and us involved as partners, but have the county assume a more proactive role. I think this uh, draft, as it's presented to you all today, it's been quite well thought out, very well articulated. And I strongly encourage you to, to take a, a very positive view of that going forward. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Jack. Any other ones? Uh, we didn't have any more comments, but I did want to just, because uh, Jay Falls had asked a question. I just wanted to make sure he knew that you guys had got the letter from Jay. We did. I, I, and I, I had also had emailed it to uh, Commissioner Reese also. So everyone did get uh, your comment, Jay, and he did then call in leaving a voicemail saying he had additional comments to call him but i don't have that ability with my setup to just call him into the meeting that's all now for him to give additional comments or for yeah, he, he wanted to give more comments and he asked us to call his number but oh. i don't have that ability to do that through zoom to call okay. anyone all right um that's the end that's all Okay, then I'm looking for one of my favorite formations. Motion <laughs> to adjourn. Without a second. All in favor? Uh. Aye.